Hello and welcome to the Tech Bytes audio cast. My name's Tim and I'm from the Bytes Blogger Z and with me is Dr. Roy Shesterwitz from the Tech Rights website. It's Friday night and I'm gonna get sauce. I fought the troll and the troll lost. I fought the troll and the troll lost. He tried to boss me and was outbossed. I fought the troll and the troll lost. I fought the troll and the troll lost Underneath this creeper bridge Hoping goats will cross oh, Hello and welcome um, It's been a long time really It's been a year and five months I think since our last audiocast I think the last date was in April 2014 If memory serves me correctly So this makes this particular episode, episode 89 And like I say, a year and five months on from the last one It's uh, Pleasure to have you back, uh, Roy, and speaking to you again. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's been a lot of um, things happening in between the, the last episode and now, so uh, I'll let you start as uh, as you always had the uh, first word. It's, it's more, more, most likely that the things is easiest to, to recollect are the things that happened recently, like the past week, past month, not necessarily a year and a half uh, we have so many things to catch up with in terms of things that we haven't covered, you know, ever on the show. Um, recent things that we could, for example, reminisce is all the stories about Munich. We can talk about what I personally call Vista 10, Windows 10 that is. And um, Chromebooks are now selling Windows based on some reports. So ever since our last conversation, uh, this was recorded. Uh, it seems as though Windows is really struggling. Not yeah. in, that, that in itself is an interesting thing because we started recording, as you probably recall, in 2010. That makes the show almost five years old. It will be five just over a month from now, maybe even less than a month from now. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then it was a very different uh, situation. Yes, uh, technology, well, not just technology, but uh, the software which I'm using has changed uh, dramas- uh, dramatically as well. We've, uh, I think when we first started recording TechBytes, I was using a distribution called Wolvix, which was uh, derived from a Gentoo uh, derivative, and a fantastic distro, but that's unfortunately uh, stopped, uh, stopped being updated. And now I'm using a Chromebook and Chrome OS, uh, which is... Uh, a plethora of different experiences, so some good, some bad, and some just plain annoying. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, my work's changed dramatically as well. So my needs on a PC have changed as well. And previously, when I've been using Linux, I was using packages such as uh, OpenOffice and uh, such like. And now I find myself drawn to Google applications, and that's not out of personal choice, but un- unfortunately out of necessity. So uh, I've got a lot of different experiences, a lot of different views. I certainly am not uh, an advocate so much of the Chrome OS and the, the Chromebooks now. I think uh, just after our last show, I bought a Chromebook because I was doing a lot of traveling and I needed something quite portable. And I was using online apps anyway, so the fact that there wasn't a lot of internal storage meant that the, the Chromebook was fantastic for me. And during the first couple of months, as is anything when it's new, the novelty factor and things that are new, and you tend to let go of a few minor problems with a with an operating system and overlook them because it's a new system then 
now having used it for over a year, I'm sort of seeing the, the issues with it, which are glaringly obvious and staring me in the face. And uh, yes, I've written about them several times, but uh, unfortunately now, because I'm so entrenched within the Google uh, ecosystem, like I say, not a choice, I really have very little option uh, and very little uh, scope for, for changing my, my personal computer using, uh, uses at the moment. Almost just change the... Uh well, the logo, I guess, is the latest thing <laughs> yeah. that uh, everyone just talks about. Wow, the logo is different. Uh, like, I, actually, actually, when I look at it now, it's 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 it's. I think it's a step back, to be honest. Well, and, I, I, I I posted to the BBC about this. The BBC had a put an article up saying that uh, there was divided opinion at the BBC towers over the Google, the new Google logo. To which I responded that maybe this is an example of one of the things wrong with the BBC if they're going to have conversation over a logo of a of a company. I mean, which is basically a rebrand. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been out of the sort sort of serious tech side of things where I actively went out and looked at new technologies. I've been out of that for over a year because of my other projects, but it does it never ceases to amaze me that some news outlets would focus so much on a brand logo. Um, and how they've changed it. Google I guess will... it's demand-based because mo everybody knows what Google is. Mm. However, not many people know what Chromebook is yet. Mm. Um, so they think this will appeal to a lot of readers, viewers. So maybe that's the consideration, to be honest. Um, it's the same with the royal family, <laughs> which you and I are not big fans of. No. Uh, for all sorts of reasons. But, you know, some people seem to be interested in that stuff. So... And as long as people request that, that's what they get. Well, I'm waiting for you, and it, it might not be now, it might not be uh, later in the show, it might be another show, but I'm waiting for you to ask me what is wrong with Chrome OS and the Chromebook, and I have a list of things which uh, I can quite happily rant on for many, oh, many hours. Great, because it's good hardware, and it's affordable. Um, I don't know how many of them are subsidized and actually sold at a loss, but... My wife, for instance, she bought one laptop in, uh, so so one Chromebook, so-called Chromebook in, uh, in Christmas, and it only it only took about you know less than a day before Linux was installed instead on it, and uh, it's it's possible to also run them in tandem or run them in conjun conjunction to one another. So a Chromebook, from my point of view, is a laptop. Now Google doesn't want you to think it's a laptop; they want you to think this is a way for me to get onto. Google so-called apps, which usually apps just these days it just means software that tracks your geographic location and also gathers information about you and connects you to other things. It's just this this one of those buzzwords uh, of which we have lots recently. There is IoT and DevOps and smartphones and uh, uh, Internet of Things, like I said before, and uh, a SaaS. And uh, one of the recent ones that they add is cloud computing and all sorts of cloud things. But at the end of the day, a Chromebook is, uh, unless they lock it down, it's just a general purpose piece of hardware. Mm. And uh, I, mean, I, I, I've been surprised actually about the amount of things that you can do with online apps, and the the ability to use the Chromebook for a plethora of tasks is actually quite amazing. I mean, one of the things that ne uh, never ceases to amaze me is the ability to use the online application Wii Video, which is a very good um, video editing suite. I mean, it doesn't come close to the professional standards of a, of a package you might uh, has been you know, dedicated to that purpose for many years. But it's, it's certainly a very, very good package for making 
a, a decentish video, and it's all online. And the beauty of it is, is that obviously all the processing, uh, when effects are added, etc., isn't being done locally on your own machine. It's being done online by by the server. So it's little things like that are very good, and the audio tools that you've got are, are quite good. Um, conversely, there is a some glaring issues with it, which I think. I personally think that Chromebooks are marketed badly or marketed incorrectly at the very least. And I think a lot of people expect them or seem to think they can do things which they're really not supposed to do. And I think the, the main example is this. I've seen a lot of people talking about installing Linux onto uh, onto the Chromebook. Uh, Ubuntu, I think, was one of the distros or, or certainly a cut-down version in some form of, of Ubuntu. And I'm looking at my uh, Chromebook, and it's, it's a Hewlett-Packard uh, 10 gigabytes uh, internal storage, SSD storage. Decent little machine, but once you start installing things like that on, there's very little space. Google seems to have its own sort of artificial intelligence when it comes to syncing things, and I noticed that when I was deleting stuff off my internal storage, because I was using it as a temporary holding ground just before I uploaded stuff to the cloud, I found that my hard disk space wasn't uh, increasing, and I still had very little left. And it seems that Google has its makes up its own mind about which files it wishes to sync, and although it doesn't show them on your uh, local disk, it's actually syncing them and using up space. So I had a couple of video files which are high definition um, that I'd recorded recently, and unbeknown to me, they're actually still on my machine. Just I didn't have access to the to the icon um, in my file manager. So it was little things like that that I've, I've had uh, big issues with. And people say, well, you can put Linux on it, and you can put plug in external storage, and you can do this and the other. There's a few things that are myths about about the, the Chromebook. Firstly. With Chrome OS, you can't just stick in a, an external CD-ROM or DVD-ROM. It won't work. If you install Linux and start going down that route, then fine, yes, you can do it. But you can't just throw in a, a CD-ROM drive. You don't necessarily own optical drives were kind of phased out, like the floppy drive before, when I was working for the university <coughs> on technical things. You know, increasingly, we sell more and more laptops without a floppy disk drive, so you couldn't even put things like driver mm. on a computer. And then the optical drives start to disappear and many of the Chromebooks don't even come with an Ethernet port so you really strictly need to have Wi-Fi yeah. and that, that's a consideration that that's a, that's a consideration that tries to force you to use it in certain ways to adhere to certain business models that they have in mind and when I looked at the HP 14 the Chromebook 14 in Christmas I also found a disturbing thing that although I think it had 16 gigabytes at the time of disk space, only less than a gigabytes, gigabyte was available for you to actually save onto. And that was designed like that, so that you put everything on the so-called cloud, basically means prism or whatever. Uh, and you can get around those limitations, but you kind of need to know what you're doing. Um, I mean, the other problem is, which people don't acknowledge, is unless you're incredibly lucky or have an incredibly super fast internet connection, traditionally upload speeds are a hell of a lot slower than download speeds. Now, that's fine when you're just mucking around with small pictures. Yeah, a couple of megabytes here and there is fine. But, for example, I've been dealing with high-definition uh, video footage, so my MP4s have been coming in about one gig a piece, which is taking an eternity to upload, even though my internet speed is relatively good. Um, and the cloud is great for, for your small files and for your Google Docs or whatever you want to throw up there. But for everything else, you know, you've got to factor in a massive amount of time spent just transferring files. And it's not something that you can just do on a whim and have instantly backed up. The Sorry. caveat, the, the, the conversely with that, though, it does give you a little bit more security. I mean, when I've had external storage 
be it with um, removable media or whatever, I've had several accidents where I have lost my data and partially my own fault that I haven't backed up the stuff properly myself. But at least with the cloud, I haven't had any sort of data loss issues once it's been stored up on the cloud. Unless you put it on something like Mega Upload, which recently had a person complain that he put all of his videos there and then when the FBI and Department of Justice went to New Zealand and grabbed Actually, they didn't go to New Zealand, but I think the servers were in Canada. But when they possessed the servers without any prior warning, all the data which was supposedly secure on the cloud was just mm. gone, and now you have to go through a court process. Um, I think that you mentioned this upload thing. Um, well, what is the so-called cloud? The notion is your computer becomes an expanded entity where the processor or the data may be at the back end over the network somewhere else. So instead of working on your computer, your computer becomes part of a bigger monster. That's kind of the so-called cloud. And the problem is you don't have uh, symmetrical speeds. And that's also a business model decision, at least in part. It's not a purely technical one. Because if, if you had very good upload speeds, in theory, you could also you know, do web hosting from your house. But the assumption is that you will only, to use a kind of a gross word, consume data or consume content, as they say. And for you to contribute back or for you to distribute things from your house would be very nasty. And they'll say, like, maybe you'll do nasty uh, distribution of copyrighted things. So they don't want to give you too much power of distribution. Mm. Uh, so, so this is probably a limitation that's a bit artificial. And if Google was to distribute fiber optic cables, as it's hoping to do in more and more places, maybe they would try to change that. Mm. Um, I, I mean, Google has to be given credit for certain things it has done. I mean, I, I can't fault the Google Docs uh, application. Uh, the, the bonus it has or the appeal it has for me, and I know there are other applications which offer the same service, but when you've got um, my, my agent, well, my editor will want to look at the the work that I'm uh, writing and it's very convenient for them to see it in real time so if I'm working on a document they might have some edits that they want me to to make or they might have some suggestions or some copyright issues and Google Docs is fantastic with the collaboration because if um, I can't remember the social networking service that Google was running which failed in the end or they got rid of it um, it was the one just predating when they had the big push on Google Plus um, it's gonna it's gonna bug me now the name of it. But basically what it was was when you type sorry? They didn't buy Oracle, did they? In Brazil. That's not the one. No, it was it was a, it, I, I, it's gonna bug me now the name of this, but basically it was a, it was a social networking service where as soon as you typed it appeared on the screen. There was no pressing return after you typed your sentence or whatever. Oh, that's a very old thing. I did it in ICQ back in like nineteen ninety seven or something. Well the technology from that is has obviously been used in the in the Google Docs. I, I remember uh, I just because I was one of the beta testers for that, um, and I just can't recall the name of it now. Um, I think Google, I, I'm pretty sure it was Google that actually bought one of the early companies that allowed collaborative editing. Several people writing a press release or something at the same time, and then you you thought your text was safe there, mm. but once they bought it, it was kind of they didn't see it as a priority from a business point of view. I think eventually they kind of open sourced it. So yeah. you could maybe install it on, fortunately you could probably install it on your own, but um, the, those things, unless you can install them yourself, like on cloud and those other applications for document editing, 
they can just change them. They can just call it an upgrade or change the default file format, and you have no control over it. And there's lots of stories that will tell you why it's not a good idea to do that, including Ubuntu One, which I think, well, I think it was before our last show that Ubuntu One was discontinued, and only about, I don't know, two months ago it was open sourced. Mm. And I suppose at, the, at, the, at that stage, everyone who had used it before was no longer, you know, in possession of the data to use. It basically, it was like far too late for them to set it, you know, to free free libre software. But you do wonder. I mean, I won't pick on the Canonical here because this is something that I've seen over the past couple of years, and it, it's, it just repeats itself constantly. There's so many projects, so many new uh, ideas that are put out there into the public domain. Um, I'm not talking about it being open source now, I'm just talking about in terms of products. And people like myself, and I'm sure you as well, look at these things and say, that's never going to work, that's going to flop. The best example was Google Glass. I mean, I, as soon as I saw that, and as soon as I saw Prince Charles with a soppy picture of him with it on his face, I knew that thing was going to flop because the main problem of it was you've got a camera device stuffed on the front of it and nobody is going to want to be walking down the street walking past people wearing a camera on the face. Um, and it was blatantly obvious that thing was never going to work. And I think it's off. going to work at some stage, unfortunately. Uh, I, I call I, it CCTV glasses. And remember, once upon a time, I, I used to host albums of my own many years ago on my own web, personal website. And I would ask people if that's okay for me to post photos. Mm. And I wouldn't even post any photos with faces in them mm. because of privacy. Now, now you would look at me like I was crazy or unreasonable because even children are doing that. They take photographs of their grandparents and put it online with no permission, nothing. You know, potentially, potentially embarrassing things too. So... The no, the social norms of the acceptance of certain levels of privacy are changing over time. And even if the older generation doesn't accept it, eventually it's going to die. And the young generation that goes online and posts all kinds of horrible things, which will later come to haunt them, will possibly accept even the idea of just take, going around with a camera and just taking videos of everything. I mean, the, the application for making sure that government bodies uh, behave appropriately and proportionately I think is fantastic you know, I, I've always recommended if ever you have a dealing with a, with, a, with a government agency or body that you record the entire incident completely even if there's no animosity or bad feeling or any sort of major issue it's always best uh, to cover yourself by recording the, the whole incident because later on if anything's said or anything's implied you've got the recording to prove that you did what you say you did and so in terms of that what that's what I like to see and you see a lot of that on Twitter where people believe they've been stopped uh, unfairly by uh, by the police for example and they've recorded the incident and documented everything now in most cases somebody looks at it and says no that was a a fine stop and everything was conducted lawfully and professionally but in some cases it's not conducted lawfully and professionally and this is giving the power back to the people we've got to accept that CCTV whatever we think is going to be stuck up everywhere increasingly in, in more numbers because it's a cheap way to get uh, policing for example done it works both ways. Um, yeah. and it so works both ways yeah I like the argument when when they say to you you know photography or video is not authorized you can point out, you guys have CCTV around there taking footage of myself, maybe even recording, because increasingly they put microphones too, and they have a monopoly and access to that. And you have to go through a very lengthy process to try to get access to the things that would support your side of the story. So it's a kind of a two-way thing where you try to kind of get a balancing act mm. on that. 
yesterday I, I went past the town hall in Manchester and uh, and I saw a, a van of G4S. For those who don't know G4S is kind of it's to, 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 to simplify it a bit, it's kind of like privatized police in the UK. It's a for-profit company. Uh, the Tories in the UK have just announced, kind of announced, that they are going to lay off about 20,000 cops. And it doesn't mean there won't be any cops. They'll probably just privatize it like what they do with the NHS. And so when I saw the G4S van parked right next to the tactical aid unit, which is kind of like the militarized police in Manchester, the people who have like very heavy gear and can go around hitting people and stuff like that, I just had to take a photograph. But at the same time, I know that if I do take a photograph, it will be frowned upon and I can get into a bit of an altercation with them. So um, the point is a lot of people also feel scared of taking photographs of those people having seen online, for instance, what the reaction might be. Um, especially knowing that uh, there's a bit of a allergy among so-called law enforcement to the idea of accountability or being put online because they know that the crowd will kind of lynch them lyrically uh, if they do something wrong or unprofessional. No, I, I agree. Right. And the thing is, people should realize that if you're in a public place and you say, see a vehicle, say a military vehicle or, or whatever, you are fully entitled to take a photograph of that vehicle. You're not breaking any law. The problem here, though, is that we have new laws now. And whilst you may not be committing anything by taking a photograph per se, they've got a proxy which they can get you through via, for example, the, the big T word, terrorism. And they can use that. that has, investigation yeah. is a common exactly. And that can be applied to absolutely anything. Um, any sort of any sort of behaviour you could probably apply if you use a creative mind to, to the, the terrorist word. And this is how they they would get around that. Um, I've been championing at the moment. There's a um, an application for Android. I think it's coming out on uh, on iPhone soon as well. But what it is is uh, an application for recording uh, any sort of confrontation or dealings with the police service where. A stop and search would you can record it and it uploads data to this to this site and it's it's mainly for obviously for for safety reasons because whilst it's a safety for the officer who's dealing with you it's safety for yourself as well because as we know whilst probably ninety nine percent of people who work in positions of responsibility are, are trustworthy people there's a, a minority that aren't and there's a minority that will abuse the system and will um, produce an outcome for you that isn't isn't fair or lawful so it's, it's a way of protecting everybody and um, so I've been championing that on my over on Twitter um, so it's especially with Notting Hill Carnival just having been gone uh, which is a major sort of issue uh, with lawful stop and searches and questions being asked as to what's proportionate uh, it's a very good application to be uh, to be having on your phone and like I say I would recommend everybody has that because you never know when you might need it Chances are, if you get stopped, it'll be dealt with very professionally and very fairly, and that'll be the end of the matter. But if it's not, and you haven't got recording, two months down the line, you're stuck in a place where it's your word against somebody else's word. So um, so have a look at that. I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes to that, because it's, like I say, it's, uh, it's, it's a very good application. Um, but yes, so CCTV, I think uh, if, if it's going to be in increased in our streets and in our cities, then we should be also able to use the same CCTV uh, to monitor the people monitoring us, so to speak. I think that's the, the crux of this. Um, although I still would frown upon Google Glass, I think 
having a, one strapped to your face. If I was to walk down the street holding up a camera and pointing it at people I was looking at, I think somebody would have something to say. And that's the feeling I get with Google Glass. If I see somebody coming up to me on the street, I don't particularly want to be you know, talking to them because you never know if that camera's rolling or, or what. So I, I think, I hope that the public won't take off uh, the idea of Google Glass, and I hope it just turns out to be a very expensive public experiment like the last one was. Um, but we shall see. Um, so that was that. If if I could just quickly, very quickly, just on the subject of video, though, just move on to some just a big complaint I've got with the uh, the Chrome OS, and it's to do with video. It seems Google has a has the best way to describe it is neglected the entire operating system, in my view. Uh, the if I start with the App Store for the Chrome OS, it's unkept, it's disorganised, and it's a mess. People eyes. The, I'll give an example. If I go into the App Store now and do a search for some anything, say I don't know, uh, Pac-Man games, and uh, I'll get a list of Pac-Man games up, and I'll try to install one, and I'll be taken to an external web page, and I'll be taken to the install instructions, and it turns out that the application that's listed on there, is a site for a Windows binary. Now, what I can't understand is why Google is allowing all this sort of spam, if you will, to be put onto their store and not having a separate section for Chromebook users. Um, half the things don't work properly. Um, the top picks, obviously, are the ones that work because those are the ones that Google have approved. But it just random searching for, for things like you would in any app store produces half of them are Windows binaries, which are no good to a person running a Chromebook with Chrome OS. So that was the first thing. But moving back to the video thing, this is, this is a problem I have. And this just shows the inconsistency of how the, the operating system is working. When I upload my... I've got my high-definition footage from a camera and I'll put it onto a memory stick and then throw it into the uh, into the local uh, the storage just to have a quick look at it to decide what I'm going to upload. The file manager doesn't show me any um, previews at all so I get no sort of little thumbnail image of what that, uh, what that particular video file is. However, in the file manager I can access my Google Drive. If I upload those files to the Google Drive and then access my Google Drive as a native as a native drive, as if it was like one of my local drives, I then get a thumbnail, and there's no sense why that happens. Um, the Google Drive is good because it can. When I look at it through my file manager, for, if you didn't know what you were doing, it would look like a local disk drive. You would never know the difference. The only thing you would be the indicator that it's not actually local is the fact that it, obviously it would take a while to to download something that was very large if you're trying to copy it onto a onto a memory card or something. Um, but the fact that you can see the thumbnails when it's on the Google Drive, but you can't see it when it's on the local drive is a pain, uh, to say the least. So that's one of my issues. The second big issue that I have with the Google Drive is the syncing of files, which has no, like I said earlier, no rhyme or reason. I, I can't work out why it's doing it with some and not the others, and why it's eating up all my space when I haven't actually got anything on my local, on my, my internal storage. So those things are a pain. Then also, uh, the, the trouble I've had is external devices. It, the it doesn't specify in any of the adverts that you're very limited as to what you can plug into the thing. And people may argue that, oh, you don't want, you know, it's a Chromebook, you've just got to use it for surfing the net. But for example, the webcam is stuffed at the top of the screen, which is like most laptops. But on the Chromebook, or especially on this model, it never seems to be quite in the right angle. If I want to position it so that it's perfectly framing me when I'm talking to somebody on a live video feed, the screen is... It's, it's too bright to see because I'm looking at it at the wrong angle. If I wanted to look at the screen straight on and get a proper get a proper image with the contrast and brightness correct, the actual camera will show the top of my head. So that's 
another little bugbear I've got. Um, it has to do with the quality of the camera itself. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like those... Uh, okay, uh, it, it, it boils down to the type of uh, acquisition modalities for an image. And this is why many of the smartphones will not get you the same image definition. Maybe they'll get lots of pixels by extrapolation, but they will not get you the same image quality as a camera with a big lens mm -hmm. because they're flat cameras. They have a very small lens, and they couldn't pick up many photos quickly enough. Mm -hmm. And any motion will be, you know, uh, will lead to a serious blur effect, which you wouldn't have with an SDLR camera. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that's the limitation you have with a webcam, especially on a budget uh, um, laptop and even the good laptops because it's flat. You, you were saying about how Chromebooks are cheap, um, you know, the, yeah. the cheap and well priced thing, and that's that's heard. I hear that a lot, and I say, is that really right? And I'll give an example why. I paid two hundred thirty pounds, two hundred thirty nine pounds for this particular uh, Chromebook. It's got a fourteen inch screen, and it's got ten gigabytes of internal storage, and it runs everything relatively good. I mean, it renders web pages. Quite quickly, and uh, I'm quite pleased with the performance, so there's no issue there. However, if you look at £230 and just increase it by a little under £100, I can get a decent laptop which I can install Linux on with one terabyte of data uh, of hard disk space, four gigabytes of RAM, and the ability to plug in whatever device I, I choose. I think you overpaid. Uh, I should mention I got, I think, pretty much the same Chromebook you did last year, and I got it for about 150 so, okay, well, but so, without uh, the problems you, you can get for the price, is still very, very competitive. Uh, there is, I think, eBuyer is the one that now sells the HP branded laptops with Ubuntu pre-installed, and there's three tiers, three kind of, um, uh, three kinds of laptops at different levels, and I think the cheapest one is 199 pounds, and most expensive is 299. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem with these, um, I would say, is you don't you don't really know what um, uh, what kind of integration work they've done on the computer. Because from my, based on my experience, unless you're buying a very high-end laptop with Linux pre-installed, it might be a kind of a not you know not a very professional integration job. Well, I mean, if, um, I certainly think if you can install Linux on a Chromebook, which wasn't designed for any other operating system, um, I, th I think you get... I mean, I'm just looking here at a Dell um, Inspirion 14-inch uh, notebook. Now, that's got 500 gigabytes of hard disk uh, internal local storage, and that's £179. Now, it's better spec than my Chromebook. If I was to wipe... Uh, whatever operating system came with, and I assume it would be Windows. Um, if I was to wipe that and stick on either a, a, a small Windows, uh, a small Linux distribution, or just even a, a, a regular sort of off-the-shelf like Linux Mint or whatever, um, I would get, be able to do all the things I'm doing now because anybody can install um, the Chrome browser and anybody can use, run Chrome applications because the Chrome OS really just integrates a browser and the uh, the, the Google Drive. That's all it does. There's no nothing special about the um, the Chrome OS uh, operating system itself. And so a, a simple browser can achieve everything that I'm doing now. You can use the same online applications that I'm using uh, just by loading up the web page. It's just a URL. Um, that's all it is. So looking at this particular one, it's a Dell Inspiron for £179. It's better spec than the machine I'm currently looking at now. And it's got more... Um, 
more scope to do with whatever I want to do. So I can install every, you know, a couple of Linux distributions on it if I wanted to. Um, if I wanted to keep it similar to the Chromebook, I could even use something like Jolie Cloud or something similar to that where it was a very sort of cut down um, <laughs> operating system just purely for netbooks uh, and workstations. And uh, so this is why I think the Chromebooks aren't particularly that good value for money. Um, it's especially with the Chrome OS it being so incomplete. Uh, you know, there, there's so much stuff that I could say about the Chromebook. For example, even little things like I've got no facility to turn off my trackpad. Now I'm one of these people, admittedly, who's quite heavy-handed. So when I'm punching away my keys, the amount of times that I've knocked my thumb on the trackpad and deleted a, a piece of text, that's why I prefer a mouse. So I've got my separate. Uh, you might want to get yeah. for it. To be honest, uh, what I found, uh, I, I had experience with numerous Chromebooks. Now I don't use Chrome OS. I never even registered an account to use Chrome OS. Uh, if I do, um, lots of things, very simple things like disabling sleep mode or disabling timeouts on the screen, requires you to install an application. Which is a bit strange because you'd expect it to be a very basic thing that will be in the settings. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to create an account, then you don't get this functionality at all. Mm. Uh, that disturbed me because I to kind of create accounts in Google or go too deep into things like that. I don't think Google Play needs to have the identity of the person, you know, for the person to be able to get applications. It's one thing when a person wants to use some specific service from Google, which often is required as part of some job or some client or some family member wants to use something on Google. But um, Chrome OS is uh, a bit of a magnet for people to use other services from Google, which is kind of obvious. Yeah. And the same happens with Android. Where with Android, and, and this has happened since since our last show, uh, there have been several upgrades of the operating system. And with one of them, they introduced the Gmail application, which also encompasses what used to be called email. And then they're trying to shift people's personal emails into Gmail, or at least the Gmail applications. So there is a bit of a trend where privacy is being cut down and they make it very difficult, not, not always impossible for people to evade using Google's, Google's own services. Um, this oh, yeah. is why... I mean, it's how they it's how they got the popularity well, not popularity, but the user base up on Google Plus because I mean I think it was um, we can't really argue that Google Plus wasn't the success that Google wanted it to be. Well, now, it depends how you count it. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, I really interrupt. But, um, Recently, there was a headline about Mark Zuckerberg saying that, oh, Facebook has just had over a, mil over a billion people logged in on a single day. Well, I, I, it's just basically passive logins. It's people who registered through an, an application or an app in something like Android, which probably the app, the, the app itself was probably downloaded like a, a billion times. Mm -hmm. So that's misleading with numbers. Google will say that they have lots of people registered with Google+. Plus. But are they active in it? Are they doing anything there? Or is it just like a phantom profile? Microsoft says there's 75 million users of Vista 10. Now, Vista 10 is an utter disaster for many reasons, including the fact that uh, 
people install it without paying because Microsoft wants to give it away. And despite that, many people go back to previous versions of Windows or having used it, they go somewhere else. Like they go and buy uh, an Apple piece of hardware or a Chromebook or something like that. So the way they count it, and you know this based on web statistics, grossly overestimates the number of people who are actually using the operating system. Mm-hmm. You know, by an order, I think by a factor of about two, because I think about, the truth is, I think about three to four percent of people do use it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a free, it's supposedly a free upgrade, gratis but, upgrade but, for most he, people. And they still don't use it to, to, to move to it. And but, but here's the thing, Roy, you know, you, you've got um, Windows 10 and all, all the, I mean, I, I haven't actually looked very much in Windows 10, to be fair, so I can't really comment on many of the issues that people are reporting having, but let me just give you another issue for Chrome OS um, with this Chromebook, which I'm sure you've come across uh, with your wife's uh, machine, and that's when I'm in my file manager, it's not unusual, and I don't think this is an expert uh, feature that's uh, that I'm, I'm trying to use, but when I've got the file manager open, I'd like to have my window a window open with my folder that has my say video files in, and I'd like to have another window open with my um, local storage. The, the, you can only that's have, a, I should, yeah. he doesn't use Chrome OS, since she never did. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just the Chromebook, but it oh, runs right. properly. Right. Well, on this, on this, I can only have one window open in my file manager. I cannot have multiple windows open. Um, there is no feature to do it, there's no facilities to do it. So what it invariably means is I have to go back to the old days of cut, copy and paste uh, because I literally can't have, well I can't have two windows open at the same time. Um, little things like that. I mean I recently commented on Twitter that in some aspects using Chrome OS is like computing in the 80s. In fact probably worse than the 80s because I remember on my trusty old Commodore Amiga I could have multiple windows open. And it's little features like this which build up. You don't particularly notice them at the time when you first get the machine because everything's new and and you're looking at you're looking at all these features now and you think well, well no this is this is lacking as an operating system for me this is this is very much lacking it's only now after I've used it for a year and a half roughly um, that you, you sort of see this and I think I put on Twitter recently I need myself a decent laptop and I, I sincerely mean that the machine itself the hardware the Hugo Packard um, piece of hardware that I have in front of me now is fantastic. I've got no qualms about that at all. It's solid, it's reliable, um, but the operating system that it's based on is just appalling, um, and it's got too many flaws now for me to be productive properly on it. And uh, uh, tragically, and this shows the level of how um, how many problems and issues I've had with it. I recently had to borrow another laptop because I left my charger for this particular one back at one of the offices and so I had no means of charging it and obviously when the battery died that was it so I had to wait until I got back into the office so I had to borrow a laptop and it was a laptop running Windows 8 and although it was dog slow and it wasn't as speedy as I, as, uh, as the Chrome OS book is I was far more productive on Windows 8 than I was on the Chrome OS because things that worked as an operating system I expect an operating system. I could have multiple windows open. I could plug in any device I liked without having to go around the houses. Um, my camera, for example, I can't plug my camera in and use the camera um, you know, to download the, the files off the camera directly. I have to take out the memory card and throw it in. Um, whereas if I was running Linux, I know for a fact I could get a camera, throw it in, Linux would recognize it. But you can run it on the Chromebook, that's the thing. Sorry? Uh, it should make, you, you can run it on the Chromebook, and, and this is probably the, the thing you should take advantage of. I installed it in various, I had two Chromebooks before, and, and in both of them, it's just going to Linux being used, a proper distribution. And um, 
I, I can say that the space was a bit tight. With the HP, actually, had to return it to the store because the keyboard developed a physical issue. So in my case, maybe a bit of misfortune, but based on online research, it seems to be quite a common issue, an issue with the keyboard. Um, but in any case, the, um, the fact that you don't install something else on it, uh, it shows you're not really exploring the full potential of it. Well, I haven't got space, Roy, because with the work I'm doing, I've now got, I mean, I'm going to look at my my storage space at the moment. According to this, at the moment, I've got 1.2 gigabytes of space on here free. And if I was to install a Linux application... That's uh, because of partitioning of the uh, of the machine. Um, I, if you I were to root it, you can control how you use the space, uh, the distribution on it. Maybe but, the distribution, once you install a few things, will only take a couple of gigabytes. But I also have some local applications, which I do, I do need to use. Um, which would obviously take up more space. I mean, even with 10, uh, 10 gigabytes of storage, you know, with a Linux distribution and the packages which I'd want to be using to facilitate that uh, Linux distribution. I mean, there's no point in me installing yeah, Linux. Drive. You can get a USB drive or something external. But then, yeah, and, that, that, and that's the big issue, because once you start plugging in USB drives, it's no longer the portable device that I bought it for. It's now got loads of things hanging off it. Um, yeah, I've got an external hard drive. I've got, I've got a, um, a terabyte hard disk that I can plug into it, USB terabyte, and it works fine, that. Um, yeah. Then it doesn't become a Chromebook anymore. It becomes a device with something hanging off it. It's like having a mouse, you know, that, that's on a wire. It's no longer portable, and, I, and that was the whole purpose of me buying it, was having a portable machine that uh, facilitated the cloud. Yeah, if I'd wanted a device that was going to stick loads of things into, I'd just buy a normal laptop, and I'd have the internal storage to accommodate probably all my needs anyway. Um, and it's no longer portable. So this was my big bugbear about people, you know, praising the, the Chromebook and Chrome OS on the basis of being portable. Yes, well, it is. Well, it's probably not for you. So, um, but it doesn't mean it's not for everyone. Um, people that I gave uh, Android devices to, they seem to be pretty pleased with that. Oh because yeah. Because them opening multiple windows and copying files across, yeah. that's too much for them anyway. Android is a completely different kettle of fish. I mean, Android, you know, is is the um, is a, is, a, is a fantastic, I mean, on the phone, I mean, considering I'm just using a small Samsung S3, I think, of, uh, I think it's an S3, I can be incredibly productive on that, com com uh, considering it's just a small phone. And in fact, in many ways, Android is far more advanced um, than Chrome OS is. The, you know, the App Store is uh, far better. Um, well, the convergence of the two operating systems, so if you say that Chrome, Chrome OS is kind of limited, Maybe that's because the plan is to extend Android to the point as it is now, where it's also used um, on some desktop systems, uh, not just the Android x86 uh, derivative of Android, but actually a few days ago, about five days ago, I saw an article about the PC based on Android, and it is the stated goal of Google eventually to converge uh, and to have one kind of operating system to rule it all. Uh, since Android also has um, the Chrome browser in it, most of the extensions that are currently running on Chrome OS will probably be possible to mount upon um, Android as well. But it did so, work, this should have been done from day one. I, I could never quite work out why um, Google insisted on having Chrome OS for obviously for a, a Chromebook like this, and then having Android for the for the phones. If they had if they had Android on on the Chromebook from day one. It would have worked a lot like, say, Jolie Cloud did um, on desktop. You didn't need a touch screen. Fair I enough. Just, yeah. So, when, sorry, I just remember when they started with Chromebook, Android was around version one point something, maybe mm -hmm. two point two or something. So, mm -hmm. 
it wasn't quite so suitable. I mean, even the support for things like mouse pads and whatever, you know. And maybe it's a, it's a completely different group that was run at the time, but the same guy was then promoted to be the head of Android as well. I cannot pronounce his name um, so well, so I'm not going to try. And I think he's now the CEO of Google as well. Uh, so they put a platform guy uh, officially like at the top of the company, realizing this is perhaps their strategy. I mean, priority, you know. Chrome OS does try its hardest in some things. For example, what it allows you to do is open up certain, um, open up a URL as a um, as an individual entity, as, a, as, its, own, as its own window, um, stripped down uh, Chrome win, uh, tab, as it were, which gives the impression that you're running a local app. The problem with that is, for example, when I've been using certain video editors and stuff like that, is that when you put your URLs into that, to have the have the um, illusion that it's a, it's a locally installed app and not an online app, then things don't work properly, and that, that's another issue of Google that uh, hasn't been addressed. Um, it, it, it's one one of I, I, I say with dread every time one of the updates comes because you don't get a choice over the updates. They come in, and the first you know about it is when you get the little icon saying restart your machine. So it's not even. I know it's a derived from, from Linux, uh, the Chrome OS, but that's one thing that you don't expect very often on Linux, where it asks you for a restart after a, after you've updated a few files. And on this, it does. And that's the first you know of any sort of... If you're running a good Linux distribution, it would be quite wise to suggest that you install updates, mm -hmm. kernel updates, OpenSSL, things like that, and then suggest that you also reboot, especially if it's a kernel update. Um, I, I, I actually reboot. I didn't use to reboot my machine. So sometimes I've been running for half a year at a computer with no reboots, but mm. you want to keep your computer secure, and if you have things to secure, uh, things like passwords and sources or whatever, then it's advisable once in a while. It will make it more difficult for, you know, agencies that we now know a lot more about to, you know, crack, crack their way open into your computer. Uh, the hacking team uh, leaks reveal quite an extensive tool set by which people can infiltrate different devices, including Android and Linux uh, distributions. Uh, and for them, it's an off-the-shelf thing. It's not a very complicated thing. You pick up a tool, you get the IP address, and you start uh, you know, hacking along. And uh, so if, if the issue is something like reboots, I don't, I don't see it as a negative thing. In fact, it's very often necessary. No, and I would agree. Unfortunately, what happens is when I get one of these uh, system upgrades and a reboot request, when it comes back into the it's my Chrome OS, which to be fair, it boots within, I'd say at most, five seconds. I can be on the net, and well, it's net ready, I'd say, within the maximum of, of 10 seconds. Um, once I've typed in the password, if you take off the time it takes to punch in the letters. So, I mean, you can't knock that. However, each update that I've had seems to bring its own new set of uh, unique little problems. For example, my latest one now, for one reason or another, Google's decided it doesn't always want me to open my file manager. And every so often that win, and it's, it seems to be dependent on whether it feels the mood takes it. When I open my file manager, it'll close it down automatically, and then I have to open it again. So. Another little problem that's just surfaced, again, it sounds quite minor and it's not a big deal, it doesn't cause any data to be lost, but I did actually lose a lot of data and it was only three months ago when I went to change my password for Google. Now, Google promotes this one password all of Google, which is great because it's uh, it changes everything at the same time. Okay, it's a great thing, actually. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm being sarcastic. Because it's not. Google, no. yeah. okay. 
it's not a great thing at all because when I've I've got a YouTube account which I post videos to, and it's not my own personal YouTube account. So it'd be nice to be able to log into my mail for a good for my own personal mail and then log into this other YouTube account in order to post the videos. Now Google won't let you do that because there's only one one password all of Google and you're completely logged into all my sort of social medias related with Google. So once I log into my Gmail, that's it, YouTube's also logged in. Um, but what I did was I, I made the mistake of wanting to be security conscious and change my password. I, I hadn't changed my password for six months, and I thought, well, about now is the time that I want to change my password. So off I went to the uh, to Google and uh, went to the main site, went to my Gmail, and uh, went down to change my password, changed it to what I did, and then logged the whole system out, and that's fine. Everything's everything's closed down. Went to log back in again, and first of all, didn't accept my password at all. Um, after a second attempt, if it did, it did actually accept my password and logged me back into my account. I had all my bookmarks and everything like that, all all back to where they were in the uh, in the browser. However, all the local data had gone, and I had no way to access it. I could see it's still there because the data that was left on my the free space that was left on my internal storage was exactly the same as how I left it before I changed the password. But none of the files were showing. Um, I tried absolutely everything, from dropping into the developer mode to uh, reading up on all the possible solutions online and there was nothing and I lost about uh, must have been about 500 megabytes of, uh, of video footage which I'll never get back um, so I wasn't best pleased which made me uh, which was another small little bugbear um, that I had with the system so that was that side of things um, and then every so often uh, it seems that in my file manager, Google doesn't want me to uh, update my files. So I'll have a document and uh, I'll make an update to it, and I'll see obviously by the date in the file manager when it was last updated. For some reason, Google likes me to revert back to uh, to a previous version of that document for no apparent reason. Maybe Google's decided that whatever I've written of late isn't very good, and it wants me to go back to the beginning and start again. I don't know, but I have to now put a copy of anything I create onto a onto my little uh, XD card and take it out of the machine so that I can be sure that what, when I come to my system I'm not going to be working on a predated uh, document. It's another little sort of issue. Um, Version management in general. Yeah. So it's quite it's quite a good habit to get into, especially after you lost data, but it's better to do it before you lose data. And I, I've, I've been through this when I wrote my thesis and I didn't lose any data. But I, I have so many versions around, and and I've 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 actually because I was working at a university of Manchester in the IT department, I've come across many cases where people lost like theses, like entire years' work because they put it on like floppy disk or a USB drive, and and then something got damaged, and you say to them, "Is this the only place you put this stuff?" And they say, "Yeah," so they have to go into all kinds of desperate recovery processes if ever and uh, and you see people crying as well but funny enough Roy this may be looking at things with rose tinted glasses but when I look back at my early days of computing with five and a quarter inch discs which I'm sure you remember as well we never had these days to issues I always remember having my five and a quarter inch disc in my school bag which batters about like anything but whenever you stuck in the drive it always worked and it was only when we started to get the better in quotes technology that this whole data thing seems to be an issue because I can never recall school as much as I wanted to because it made a good excuse for not having your assignment completed on time. As much as I, uh, I, I think back, I cannot recall losing any data at, uh, on those five and a quarter inch discs. Uh, <coughs> floppy disks and stuff 
uh, would degrade, especially over time. Uh, binary programs wouldn't work if you waited too long. I, I suppose people who have floppies around with games or applications, it probably wouldn't work anymore. In fact, CDs are pretty much the same. However, I think it's usually advertised to be good for, I don't know, almost 10 years. But even CDs that I have had for over 10 years would be perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, CDs is in optical discs. Um, so, in fact, and since you mentioned that, a lot of the new storage so-called technology, uh, SSDs, as well as things like SD cards, um, did you know if they don't have a charge for a while, the data can degrade or altogether vanish? No, no, no. And I don't know. The, yeah, I mean, what kind of progress is that? What kind of, I mean, except for the marketing of uh, SSDs being faster and lighter and not warming up, taking less battery life. The the fact is, in some ways, that people don't quite realize, they actually a step back. Uh, it, it's not always the case that um, the, the more we move forward, uh, the, the better things will become in every way. And despite that, companies will now sell you a laptop with 32 megabytes of storage, including Microsoft, which does it to some of their uh, Windows 8, Vista 8, whatever, uh, laptops. 32 megabytes, 64 megabytes. But wait, there is free storage on Microsoft Cloud and whatever they call it, OneDrive, I suppose. And that's not a good thing. It's not good for your privacy. Mm. It's not necessarily good for backup because you could previously maybe partition the drive to have what was called drive D and drive C. So drive D will maybe contain your backups in case you couldn't boot into it. And uh, so this assumption that we should follow the trends and use apps and broadcast our location and have a Facebook account you know, that's kind of for the masses. We couldn't just assume all of those things are in our interests. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm carrying a phone around is not for your security as much as it is for so-called national security, which means those in power can know exactly what you're doing and switch on your phone and listen to you and watch your camera, even when you switch it off. Mm -hmm. uh, but people don't assume that, that there is malice or there is um, conflicting interests associated with the technology that they use. No, I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's like anything. When these things uh, are developed or first uh, conceptualized, the idea or the ethos behind them is a very good one. I mean, the Facebook uh, method of being able to track your location is frowned upon by many, and rightfully so, because it's a, it's a tool to track you. However, when it, you look at it at, at what's supposed to be used for or what the idea of tracking your location, your location could be used for, it's very good. For example, I've been visiting uh, one of my other heads, um, I work, uh, well, I'm, I'm on the, the management for a football club, and uh, I like to track on a map all the different clubs we go and visit when we play an away game, and it's, it's great to look on a big map of England and see all the little pins in the map to see where you've travelled to, because we've gone quite far, we've been down your neck of the woods uh, recently, down at Atherton, so that's which is quite close to you, I believe, um, so it's quite nice sitting in that uh, side of things, it's a very innocent, very, very nice thing to have, but of course all these things get twisted and perverted into... Uh, into tools that people can snoop on and you know find out where you are and and, and monitor what you're up to, which is no, that. Yeah, I think there's several pressures. One of them is the business model pressure. 
you know, everyone has a mortgage to pay. That's the Appy Nuremberg defense. And so they kind of excuse themselves into taking your data and selling it wholesale to companies. The other thing is pressure from the government. So right now the FBI, uh, with backing of Obama and here in the UK, Cameron as well, they're trying to force or to shame companies into essentially putting back doors and encryption and making no such thing as security. Mm. Uh, they want to have, and they, they talk all this mumbo jumbo, which they don't understand, to make it seem as though they can have the master key and nobody else will have access, which of course doesn't work in practice, because once you make something insecure, it will only take time for everyone else. Uh, remember DVD John, when he cracked the, uh, the DVD encryption methods, and then mm. once, he, once, once he'd done that, they couldn't just, uh, you know, uh, recall or uh, collect back all the CDs or the DVDs that they previously sold and change them. So essentially cracked the whole thing. Mm. So that, that's the second kind of pressure, which basically messes up the uh, technologies that we have. So it's kind of government, uh, the profit interest, as well as sometimes people uh, are being sold uh, an illusion of what they really want. And it becomes a hip thing. It becomes a, a cool thing that people want to imitate. You see lots of this in the Apple um, sphere, you know, the Apple stores, where people buy uh, limited by design uh, products. They call it simplicity, and then they call Android is fragmented, which basically means diverse. It's not a bad thing. And they start to frame choice as a bad thing. They start to frame you've been followed. It's, it's good for your security. If you get lost, we can track you down. And, uh, and, and other things like that, where they spin the negative things as a positive thing. Well, I, 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 saw, I saw a very frightening story, which was um, promoted completely the wrong, wrong way the, the other day. And basically what it was, uh, somebody had lost their uh, mobile phone. It'd been, uh, it had been lost or stolen, I'm not sure which, but anyway, what happened was they'd, um, they'd lost it and uh, shortly after they got an email with a picture of a face on it and what happened was when you entered the wrong password with a certain app, when you entered the wrong password into the phone, it takes a photograph of the person and then emails it to whatever email address you've got registered. Now there was this person's face um, obviously looking at a phone because he tried to enter the, the PIN number on this on this phone that had been lost, which was sent to the loser. And it was plastered all over Facebook um, being as the person who stole the phone. And I was thinking, well, hang on a minute. This person could have seen that phone on the street, picked it up, and tried to get it to work to see if there was a telephone number of mum and dad. I mean, I've found a phone before, and the first thing I've looked at... Yeah, it happened to me as well. Yeah. S2, yeah. And you look for something like mum or dad or something, and you ring them up and say, look, I found your son or daughter's phone here. Um, you know, where do you live, or do you want to come and pick it up? That's what you do. So this poor bloke could, I mean, we don't know, but he could have been found it on the street, tried to help, and now he's had his photograph plastered all over Facebook, um, and now he's labelled a thief. You know, so it's it's got some worrying, some worrying caveats to all these things. You know, the Android kill switch, I think, is something that's been happening uh and developing since the last time we did a show. So, a key, I call it a kill switch. They, of course, use a euphemism for it. That's the mechanism by which, uh, I, I don't think it's enabled by default yet, but it's a mechanism by which you can wipe remotely a phone mm -hmm. or access a phone remotely, presumably because it gets stolen. Mm -hmm. Now, who can take over your phone? Well, if you can take over remotely, Everyone can. Law enforcement can. I, when I was in Frankfurt earlier this year, uh, my wife saw 
not one person, but two people had their iPhone taken to the back, mm-hmm. which I told her that probably means they're taking a copy of the contents of the device. This is why they take it to the back. I don't think they check the contents in terms of like explosives. I don't think they would believe that explosive would fit into an iPhone, but or two of them. But this is what they do these days. And it's kind of off the record, unofficial. It's kind of not exactly in compliance with the law, but they will justify it using this, uh, in the UK, it would be the Terrorism Act, I guess, or something like that. Uh, same thing with interviewing people for a lengthy period of time. Uh, based on things that are not based, not related at all to terrorism, but things like journalism or uh, reports they're going to release, and then that happens too. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, the things, Rod, people listening to you now, and there'll be some people who think this is all sorts of paranoid and it's all um, sort of futuristic type mumbo jumbo and it's never going to happen type thing. What people need to know, and I, I, I think 90, 98% of people listening to this will know, but the ones that don't, this technology already exists. We've had it for years. We can, me and you, have an application running on my machine where I can give you permission to access my machine. And from where you are, you can go through my file system, you can do what you like, and I'll give you permission to do that because we're on the same that app. That goes back to the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, been, it's been going on for years, so there's not much of a, a leap of technology in order to make that whole process covert. Um, you wouldn't know, or I wouldn't know, if my you know, if my kernel contained data that was malicious that would allow that to happen without my consent. And even more so with a phone. Uh, people buy a phone in the shop, they make phone calls, or they play a few games like Angry Birds, and they don't spare a second thought about what's um, hard coded into any of the um, any of the ROMs. And it's so simple to do. It's not futuristic technology. This is technology we've had for years. You know, um, I mean, even now, I can give you access. Um, a very limited access because that's how Google works. But I can throw my desktop image up onto your screen now, and you can see exactly what I'm doing online um, with my permission, obviously. And uh, but this this technology has been around for years, and people need to realise that as we get more advanced, and as the features become what you perceive as being convenient and handy and useful, it just gives more control over to people who would seek to look at your data and exploit it. Well, many devices now come with both microphone, in some cases, two microphones, at least one camera. And uh, the authorities, for instance, in uh, Netherlands, they suggest to people that they put something like Bluetack on top of the microphone mm-hmm. where they don't use it. Now, hack, going back to hacking teams, so I'm not sure you've been following this as closely as I have, but now we have a very extensive proof that Flash, which has access to the camera, has been uh, very actively used to crack people's laptops. We also know uh, that the GCHQ has been grabbing uh, uh, video streams or photos from, I think, 1.9 million people, including people masturbating and things like that. And they retain that. For them, it's a weapon of blackmail, mm-hmm. essentially. If they want to recruit somebody by shaming them. Or if they want to put people in prison, otherwise they have to fulfill the wills of a so-called uh, recruiter. And these things, fortunately, um, you know, quite, quite easily accessible. If you want to explain it to a person, you can give them an article. Uh, we also know that computers that are not connected to the internet at all have been compromised, primarily in Russia, through a USB, a USB uh, dongle, which then broadcasts and takes commands wirelessly over the radio. Mm. So I don't know which bases are controlling those things. I don't know if it's planes or if it's 
somewhere near the border where they have maybe in Finland or in Lithuania or something uh, stations that are trying to reach out to those computers in military bases of Russian uh, Russian Windows boxes. So we have documentation for all that, and it's quite it's quite a fascinating time that the things that years ago we'd be demonized for saying. I've been talking about the backdoors in phones, uh, the baseband OS, and the fact that you can hijack the the phone and stimulate uh, uh, a fake uh, um, uh, a fake a fake kind of sleep mode on the phone, so which, which which would make it appear as though it's switched off, but in fact it's broadcasting the audio and potentially one of the two cameras, because many of them come on two sides now all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's known now, and we have proof of that, and we have documented proof of that. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, these things, yeah, like I say, aren't sort of paranoid what ifs. They're they're happening now, and you know, like I say, people need to start stepping up and start saying no, we don't want this because unless people make a stand against them and just carry on using these things and laughing well, as they post silly selfies, with, with they don't want it. It's not, it's, it's not going to be enough. And one thing they can can do is reject the uh, reject the companies to do that and reward the companies that are fighting back against it because they do exist. Uh, they can reject things like uh, like a, uh, a carrier which requires them to present some form of ID, which might even mean a debit card, to purchase a phone and say, I don't need to give you my ID, I just want a phone and I will pay to top it up when I wish to. Vodafone has been harassing me with kind of various marketing calls, and I don't mean defending marketing calls, they just want me to pay more money, and, and I said to them, like, look, I'm, I'm only paying with cash for, in this case, my wife's phone, because I don't carry a phone myself, but the the fact is, they were one of the few carriers in the UK where you can buy a phone without presenting ID. Mm-hmm. So it is st- it's still possible, it's not possible in Spain, I think you have to present something like a passport mm-hmm. to do that. And, and they know exactly why they do that. Mm. They want to be able to track people and to know their ID without having to do any analysis of who they contact and where it's going and things like that. But, I mean, even, yeah, for example, you can walk into, say, Asda or Tesco's or anywhere like that and buy, with cash, one of these pay-as-you-go phones, and people think, oh, that, well, that's pretty secure because I'm paying in cash, I'm getting this phone, and nobody knows. I don't have to register a name to it or anything like that. Wrong. The stores now, and I, I wouldn't know what sort of policies they have in place in, return, in terms of uh, retaining CCTV, but I know that they retain, retain it for a considerable amount of time. Very, very simple. If somebody wanted to know who a certain phone belonged to, they approach the store where it's been bought, and that's one thing they can determine from the phone number because the SIM card will have some sort of registration to it as to which shop it was being sold in. Um, all they do is go to the shop and look at the CCTV, and they've got a, a snapshot of you uh, buying it. But so, they don't know no, you don't need your name, but I mean, it's it's, it's not a very difficult issue. Yeah, and it's a very, very, very distinct features. But uh, it, what, what I'm saying is, you know, you're never anonymous anymore. That that's the point. You know, I mean, if somebody is that determined, I mean, let's face it, the people in the upper echelons of government and these agencies, if they're that determined to find out who you or I am, it's you know, these things are quite simple for them to do. They go to the store, they get the CCTV. They might not be able to tell your name from that, obviously, because you're just a face. But then they would look at things like, well. He must be quite local. It's very unusual if he would go 100 miles out of his way to buy it. So let's look around the local area 
and then they can take and they've got the resources to do it. Me or you don't have the resources to do that, but agencies do. Well, if you uh, increase, this is actually something Stallman said repeatedly when I speak to him. <clears throat> Just because it's possible for them to acquire access to a, uh, let's say, a fact or a finding, doesn't mean you have to go out of your way to make it easier for them. Mm -hmm. Whenever you increase the barrier, especially on a mass scale, so if, if 1,000 people paid with cash and they don't kind of watch very closely and peer into the CCTV, it would already increase the cost and the burden associated with surveilling everyone and yeah. finding out what they're buying and finding out what, you know, what time of the day they're buying the following things. So that already reduces the incentive to do the surveillance because mm -hmm. it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. And if, if you could convince even uh, half the people to pay with cash, that would severely damage the, uh, the companies that are tracking people's purchases like Nectar card and all kinds of loyalty cards, which are essentially a way of uh, tying the purchases and times of purchase and location of purchase with an idea of a person. They sell this data to other companies, which then do some analysis on you and they have a dossier of exactly what you bought when. So they know everything about you and your bodily functions and what medicines you take and uh, what food you like to eat. They, they really, they're in, already into your fridge. They know what's in your fridge unless you take measures. And they don't need to have a camera inside your fridge. They just look at your groceries list. Well, just to stop, um, if, if anybody's doing this, if anybody thinks this is, uh, again, paranoid, right, the best example I can give you is spend a couple of months on Facebook. If you don't have a Facebook account, sign up to Facebook. Spend a couple of months talking about what you enjoy doing and maybe liking a few groups um, that share that common interest with you and see what sort of advertising you get pimped to you on the, on the side of your screen. See what sorts of things get put into your timeline. That is exactly the same method that these shops are using when you use loyalty cards when you do uh, purchases with with your debit card exactly the same method and the best proof that this is happening now is Facebook just do it just give it a try yourself create a fake name if you wish and even make up your your interests and things like that but just see how the advertising is directed towards you purely on the basis of what you type and what you what you look at and uh, then you'll see that this idea about uh, supermarket stores profiling people and selling data isn't far-fetched at all it's happening now can derive it based on uh, it's interesting we're actually talking so much about surveillance to be honest but since you've mentioned uh, Chrome OS we should mention that uh, one of the ways um, in which they identify the user and increasingly to do it in Facebook and by the way also in Twitter Twitter has become quite nasty the past year and a lot of people haven't noticed that people are being uh, openly assigned what's called an uh, advertising ID mm -hmm which is a kind of a universal name for uh, kind of barcoding the people mm. and following them, not just using cookies, which is a more kind of covert way of tracking people, but even more openly. <clears throat> so when you're browsing the net, you have a, you kind of have a, a, a kind of like a, a tattooed uh, number onto you that says, this is who I am and these are the web pages that I visit. And that will be then disseminated, not to one company, not to a government, <clears throat> but will be sold to the highest bidder and potentially many bidders. So when you access, I don't know, Guardian, single article, not even the front page, look at how many scripts come from how many sites. The number of sites is not the number of people who will get your data, which they will. This is the 
number of distributors of data, which will possibly sell it to hundreds of companies, agencies. And then you come into this whole thing that's called big data, which is a, not a buzzword. Uh, uh, the company behind Hadoop, which is the big engine behind many of the big data databases, uh, um, and, you know, um, repositories, uh, Horton, Hortonworks bought a company last week or just over a week ago and this company was founded by ex-employee ex of the NSA. Mm -hmm. They founded a company around a project developed by the NSA and they explore ways of kind of deriving metadata and doing mining and dossiers and people based on extremely vast data sets such as all the web history of entire websites, entire domains. And to them, to them, this is a very fascinating way of doing, you know, a kind of a thought crime analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's already happening. It's happening now. And this is why people like Snowden and I think at least four, maybe five whistleblowers since he came out with the documents are speaking out because they know what's going on from the inside and they want to stop it. You know, they have a mortgage to pay, but they also have a duty to uh, their family and their friends and peers, and they think this is too much. Yeah, no, I agree. And like I say, it is frightening times that we're, we're in now. It's, it's only set to get worse. And like I said earlier, yeah, as the technology becomes more convenient, the methods in which they use to uh, take this data is going to become uh, more convenient for them too. You know, like yes. we for them all the time, it gets cheaper and cheaper. I mean, like, like we highlighted earlier, just the simple things like me putting a pin on a map in Facebook, you know, just that, that type of data. You know, we didn't have that uh, that feature you know, sort of 10, 15 years ago where you could pull up maps and track yourself to these locations, but and now we do. And you know, think about it, and a lot of these features are switched on by default. And it's, for example, uh, when I'm recording certain things. Uh, for YouTube, I like to be able to edit it first because, of course, there's lots of errs and R's and things you want to cut off. So you want you want to edit it first, but by default, YouTube, for example, when you're recording to it, will put it as a live broadcast. And if you're not aware of that, the first thing you'll know about your conversation being live is when it's on YouTube and it's probably been having uh, 10, 15, 20 hits, uh, which in, in nine times out of ten is not an issue. If you're, unless you've got a big issue with people listening to ers and ours. But it takes away that control, and these things are switched on by default, and it's up to you to search out the features and switch them off. And so it, it's something that people should bear in mind and pay attention to, especially if they're big users like I am of social media. And uh, I, I see in relation to social media now that Twitter, and I only found this out when I was talking to you earlier, Roy, on the direct messages in Twitter, I see they've now implemented the um, restriction-free messages. It used to be uh, restricted to 140 characters, like on the, the public tweets. And now I'm, I see you can do it, uh, it's got no limit to it anymore. Um, so it does make me wonder what sort of rules or what sort of uh, caveats there are to that now, as we saw with the uh, direct messaging in Facebook. Look at the license of Twitter, which evolves. I remember Tumblr. I couldn't, I have an account in Tumblr, okay? I actually inherited it from somebody who wanted to give it to me from Switzerland. But um, the fact is, I was denied access to my own account until or unless I click OK on the new terms of conditions. So they present me with new terms of conditions, okay? This is not an unusual thing, by the way, but if I do not accept them, 
I'm blocked out. I cannot access my account. So if the terms of ex if the terms of conditions that I originally signed up for have changed and I have no option of of declining them, what kind of options do I have? They can do anything they want. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to the thinking, should we have a discussion about Vista 10 and the privacy violations, which mm -hmm. are big news right now? So Microsoft has changed the terms of conditions of, of Windows, um, but at the same time, they also, to use the word that's usually used in FOSS, uh, they backported the same privacy violations to previous versions of Windows, namely Vista 7 and Vista, 10, uh, Vista 8. So the old versions of Windows, whether you accept it or not, have had Windows Update modify the binaries. This is one of the scary thing about proprietary software. So now there are privacy violations as well. Yesterday, I wrote an article about how Microsoft boosters and promoters and propagandists or whatever you want to call them are now saying to people, hey, upgrade to, you know, Vista 10, because it's inevitable. You get privacy violations everywhere now. So, you know, you might as well get in with the, with the game. And Windows is doing that. Ubuntu is doing a minor in comparison privacy violation. But as a whole, uh, unless you're using something like Chrome OS, GNU Linux is still fairly privacy respecting because people scrutinize it all the time. Uh, even things like Linux Mint linking to a customized version of Google is coming under scrutiny. So there's always this pressure from users and developers to keep good behavior uh, among the, uh, the main developers and distributors of those things. Um, so, and, and, and this kind of go, goes full circle and, and, and leads to the uh, premise of this, the show is people should use free software and free, uh, free operating systems like Linux or BSD if they don't want to fall into the trap of being controlled remotely by people who know everything they do, who they speak to. Uh, the Ashley, um, um, Ashley Madison, um, hack, yeah. call it hack, it's a breach basically, recently reminded people that a lot of people have something to hide from someone mm -hmm. and the notion that you absolutely can share everything openly, maybe you should put your passwords online, all of them, if you mm -hmm. have nothing to hide, uh, that notion is ludicrous and whenever you give data to Facebook, Facebook sells the data to Microsoft. We've known this since around 2011 that Facebook gives all the data to Microsoft. And once the data passes to one entity, this entity can pass it on and on and on. Uh, lots of data being passed around, lots of Seagate drives being sold, uh, with backdoors, by the way. So one of the leaks that we have is that the firmware installed on all the major uh, makers of hard drive contains a backdoor. And and it's a universal one and you cannot remove it because it's installed at the embedded level. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's quite a horrifying thing. If you were to, to be like the CTO or the CIO or something in a place in Russia, you'd have quite a challenge, not just picking a safe operating system, but even just picking the hardware. You know, you have UEFI so-called secure boot and you have TPM, you have things like hard drives with firmware that contains backdoors. So 
Russia is moving to ban windows now in government. At least there is a motion towards that. China has already done that. And it's because they know that even if they're very, very cautious, there is no way they can guarantee that there won't be political and economic espionage. I think it's a very fascinating thing because it's been always going on and lots of people knew about it since Echelon, which was even covered by British journalists back in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, but now there's so, such extensive evidence that all those people who've been speaking about it are you know, feeling very vindicated. Mm. Yeah. So, um, well, one of the, one of the things... Sorry, I just, want, just want to add something because you, you mentioned about uh, Windows 10 there. Um, when I was, just going back to when I was, I mentioned I was using the lap, that Windows 8 laptop uh, because my Chromebook had uh, run out of battery. Um, one thing I noticed, on the taskbar down the bottom on the right hand side was a Windows icon. Now, on first glance, I haven't used Windows for such a long time. And so, to be fair, I'm not, I'm not particularly up on all the icons and where things are. But to look at it, when I looked down the bottom of the taskbar on the right hand side, it looked like a Windows icon. And I assumed that clicking that would bring up some sort of start menu or some sort of menu for other, other applications. Um, so I sort of hovered over it, and it turns out that was the icon promoting upgrading to Windows 10. If I clicked on that and then a, a short click after that and OK, and if I wasn't somebody who read the prompts and just clicked OK like a lot of computer users do, it would have started installing Windows 10 on it uh, on the machine, desperate for me to upgrade it. Um, and this was an icon that appears in my taskbar. So um, that, that was one thing that, that did surprise me and uh, about about this Windows thing. That, uh, and it reminds me a great deal of... Uh... You, you mentioned uh, what's called Google Plus. Uh, so Google Plus, a lot of people create account, not because they want to create account, but because Google puts a sort of a barrier where they say, please do the following things. You have to click here, and it will will just do the magic things for you. So then they have over a billion supposed you know, Google yeah, Plus users. Many of them will be the same person creating multiple accounts. So that That's not actually being used. But what they want to do is to just use this number to kind of show off, but it was well, you have to create one for YouTube now. I don't think I don't think you can make a comment to YouTube without a Google Plus account, or if you've I got think a they YouTube. That recently. I think yeah. they uh, are changing a few policies related to that. And also, if you want to see any material that's deemed as adults, so for example, a trailer for an eighteen movie, you've also got to be logged in as well, so that they can in quotes confirm your age. Where because an underage person couldn't make up a fake a fake email address and a fake date of birth. Um, so it seems that there's all sorts of incentives to get even more people to join up uh, now um, because YouTube is, is arguably so massive. Um, so yes, so that, that was something else I noticed. And the only reason I found that out is because when I logged out my YouTube account, I was trying to uh, just watch the video that we just created. And it must have been set to um, you know, 18 content because I think it had swearing in it. And uh, it wouldn't let me view it because I had to create an account to, to log in to, to verify my age in quotes. So yeah, I think um, I think YouTube's getting a lot of numbers from that because I've noticed as well that my Google Plus, when I'm on that, I'll get a notification about a comment on a YouTube video, and it won't actually be that clear that the comment has stemmed from a YouTube video. Um, so I think the two are intrinsically linked now. Uh, so things, but I think I think I worked out that if you make a comment on YouTube. You get to see it in Google Plus, um, and you get to see the replies in Google Plus. If you make a post on Google Plus, obviously it doesn't go to YouTube because there's no relating video to it. So I, th I think that's roughly how it works. So share by default, but it's not yeah. it's not sharing the things you want to share. It's the ah. things that they want you to share with them. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. 
and and a lot of those times people talk about privacy and say, oh, you go on Facebook and you share all the stuff, uh, and they try to dismiss privacy by referring to something else. Privacy is when the things you don't want to share stay with with you, so you're not being forced to divulge information that that would otherwise you'd prefer to, to keep private. When you go and you write something online, let's say on Twitter, that's stuff that you wanted to make public. So it's a bit different. Uh, Sites that are used for so-called private communications, but you know there is a third party watching you all the time, that's an infringement of privacy. If the site allows you to broadcast your opinions, that's not better than running a, that, that's no worse, let's say, than running uh, a blog in a way, except the fact that it also watches you when you click on links and stuff to learn about what you like. Uh, but it's not as bad as sites that really watch where you are, they ask you for photos, they want to see who your friends were and who's your cousin and who's your mother and where you met them and what car you like and things like that. Uh, so there's a big difference between that. By the way, uh, Dropbox, which now has Condoleezza Rice on the board, you know, what, what a great endorsement it is, considering the fact they've already shown is coming soon, quotes, in, uh, in the PRISM links. Uh, the, Dropbox makes it very hard to access, even to view something that a person sent to you without creating an account. It's still possible, but it's difficult to find the option. Mm -hmm. So a lot of sites are trying to brag about number of users, and they do it by increasingly either forcing you to enter World Gardens by creating an account or making it very, very hard or cumbersome to do it without creating an account. And uh, I, I should be careful myself because I know I'm, I'm under surveillance. And how do I know this? Because people told me, people who were blowing the whistle. Now, I'm not under surveillance directly by government because the thing is, not just in the UK, but in other countries, I suppose, as well, the, uh, these private contractors. Uh, Snowden never worked for the NSA. He worked for Booz Allen, which had a contract with the NSA. Uh, he did work for the CIA before, but... The company that tracks me is, I, I, I serve, it's a company that was competing with Blackwater back in the days when they work in the Middle East, and they're called Control, Control Risks Group, and, or CRG for short. I never even heard about it. They have, I think, something like 300 million in turnover mm -hmm. annual, and uh, some of their staff or former staff now works in other places and some of their friends probably work for GCHQ or I don't know if it's MI5 or MI6. So just because you don't do uh, anything that would be of concern to national security doesn't mean you are not being tracked. Uh, it's not, everybody is being tracked. Mm -hmm especially in the UK, it's just a classification issue. It's how much are you being tracked? How much are you being watched? So there is a classification problem here. Everyone is be, everybody's being watched to some degree. And uh, in my case, the reason I'm being watched is because they're trying to find sources of mine. They're trying to find who's communicating with me and providing information because I expose illegalities, corruption, and... Uh, potentially people who will end up in prison if I carry on publishing. Uh, so they're trying to stop me from doing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I found out about it just 
just about half a year ago, something like that. And uh, I keep getting new information about it all the time. Well, it's, I mean, the whole, they've achieved, the, the whole the, the sort of surveillance thing has achieved one, um, one of their goals, I think. And that's regardless of how much or how little surveillance is on a specific individual, uh, say John Smith next door. The paranoia now is there, which brings people into line as well. And I think that the fear, I mean, I always say to people, whenever something big happens in the news, a, a, a big disaster or a, a piece of news uh, which is taking up the focus of you know, virtually the world's media uh, services, keep an eye on the news uh, that's happening outside of whatever event is going on, because that's the exact time that's used when the government will slip through all these little bits of legislation and all these little ideas about new ways to, to track people or to, to deal with it people. It happened last week. Yeah. And it, 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 story I'm referring to, if you told it happened last week, um, there was what they labeled, kind of dubbed the number number two ISIS guy, whatever he was, or like the hacker or like the IT guy. He was a British guy. And then you look at the, uh, it's called something like the Echo Times or whatever. You have all these publications in the UK, which are based around uh, Gloucestershire and, uh, and uh, Yorkshire next to Men With Heel all those so-called RAF bases that are basically NSA bases for intercepting all the emails coming out of Europe. And they utilize, whenever there is a big story about something to do with ISIS, to sell us the idea that your next-door neighbor could be like an ISIS terrorist. Mm. And that's the time when the politicians step in and try to push things like the Snoopers Charter and uh, increasingly using so-called metadata to classify people to turn their phones remotely into listening devices and uh, to attach things to their car, uh, which happens. So we know, for instance, that sometimes the police will fake uh, a stop on the road and then covertly put something in your car so they can listen to you, even if you don't have a phone. Uh, this is reported by the news. I'm telling you about the things that we do know happen. Um, thing, things like that are happening because the public is associating the passage of laws relating to that with an event that's exaggerated by the media at the right time. And if you oppose that law, then you support the atrocity, whatever it is, uh, decapitation or bombing or something like that. And it's, it's been done for a long time. It's not a new technique. See, but so what they're really after is... Sorry, yeah. What well, they're really after is anything that threatens power, including terrorism, but threatening power can be a person writing something about austerity or revealing that a politician is accepting bribes. Um, it's, it, it's, it's something that... I, I, I said it earlier today to someone, you know, it, it's something that we're accustomed to think without challenge. For instance, to think that the law is something to be obeyed without being questioned when in fact laws change all the time, and we know who's changing the laws and why. Uh, we shouldn't take things for granted or assume that the government wants what's best for us. Unless what's good for us happens to be also good for them. Well, I, th I think, you see, a lot of people have bad words said about the media being in cahoots and things, and I, I think, I don't think the media is complicit in the government's plan for more control and more surveillance. What I think the media does is the media is there to make money. 
Um, I don't think it's unfair if I say I don't believe the media really cares what the news is as long as the news sells. They would, suppose, but, they, they would publish but, a story about hamster wearing a hat if it, if it sold. But, but you, know, you know some people who work in the media formerly worked and still have colleagues working mm -hmm. in other in other places. Uh, the reason the Daily Telegraph is called the Torygraph is because they do have a conflict of interest of some sort. Oh, yes. So they are more loyal to a certain particular... Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not I mean, I certainly believe that there's certain individuals who will be pressurised by certain areas of government um, to write stories in a certain way. That, that's, that's, uh, I would, I would agree there. But what I mean is, I don't think the media as a whole is complicit in cohoots with the government. Yes, in certain media agencies, there'll be members of staff who work closely with members. Okay, the BBC relies on taxpayers' money coming enforcement of TV licensing from the public. Yeah. If the BBC was to challenge government too much they could end up like the Met Office in the UK, which does the weather. They could end up just being cut. And that's it. That's the end of the BBC. Yeah, so it's just it's like an evolutionary thing where if, if you don't play by the rules of those who fund you, that's fine. They'll find somebody else. Or they will defund you and choose somebody who is more... Uh, I don't believe that the BBC challenges the government at all. I believe that the stories of all the claims of the BBC getting on the wrong side of the government are just pieces of propaganda. And the reason why I say it is this. The BBC, if we look at being funded by the government, is probably the only organisation on the planet that has criminal law dedicated to itself. And how, how I mean by that is, don't pay your TV licence, see what happens. Now, if you don't pay your gas bill, you get your gas cut off or whatever, and you get a you, you get bill, you might get taken to court, you might get the bailiffs knocking at your door, your television taken away, whatever. But if you don't pay your TV license, and or you declare that you don't have a TV when you do have a TV, see what happens then. It's the only organisation which apparently is funded and you know, sort of run by the people for the people, whatever you want, what angle you want to put on it. Yes, it has criminal law attached to it and backing it up. Now that doesn't suggest to me an organisation that's independent of a government and is willing to challenge a government at all. That suggests to me a government-run organisation that's pretending to be independent. Um, because like I say, it's the only company, if you want to look at the BBC licence as a service that you're paying for, the only service I can think of that you pay for that if you don't pay for it you get thrown in the slammer so yeah read into that what you will um, I think the BBC is a horrendous organization now uh, I've got no time for the BBC whatsoever I think the license is unjust I think it's unfair um, the argument that they don't have adverts and that's and it's funded by the people and it's not like ITV or Sky where, where they have adverts as well um, it's absolute nonsense because if you watch or happen to switch over to BBC News, you get effectively adverts anyway, which are advertising BBC programs coming up in the future and a sort of little uh, promo sort of thing for the um, for the BBC News, which lasts 35 seconds or 40 seconds, and it it's just like having a commercial break anyway. The, the BBC, in my opinion, and I've read this so many times online, it needs to be scrapped right now. I think it, I don't believe it offers anything of merit whatsoever. Um, I wouldn't. I don't trust any of the pieces of news that come out of it, and it's so as much as I'm loath to say it, because of course we all know about uh, the man behind Sky Television. But Sky News, at least, is the is more effective news for me than BBC News. Um, and I'll go to Sky before I go to BBC. And that's somebody who doesn't really watch television much at all. The concern is uh, the a lot of the media, or mainstream media, corporate media, whatever you want to call it, is equally bad in some ways. However, the BBC being a kind of uh, specially treated uh, entity, therein lies the issue. So um, a lot of the corporate media 
would determine the boundaries of what's laughable, what's acceptable, and what's kind of within range. So in the BBC, we mentioned things they criticize in government, since we have even things like privacy. They would cover things that look bad or expose power only once other publications have already done so. So mm -hmm. they're not really breaking the story. So they will say, oh, everybody knows about a Snowden thing, so we might as well cover it, otherwise we look like we're hiding something. Uh, but they don't really break stories like that. You don't hear about them breaking a story uh, about Trident. You don't see them breaking a story about GCHQ. Register might do it occasionally. The Guardian might do it. But what happens also in the U.S. is the range of opinions is being <coughs> limited and narrowed down such that the so-called Democrats or labor, their positions will be as left as you can go. And everything further than that mm -hmm. is nationalistic or socialist or something like that. And on the right side, you know, what's considered to be moderate, right, is quite, it's quite loathsome, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, and it depends on the agenda. So, so this is why I don't watch TV, as mm -hmm. you probably know. And I haven't watched. I watched. You know, if it happens to be somewhere, if I go somewhere that has a TV, I might watch mm -hmm. bits of it. But I really can't stand it sometimes because I don't get exposed to quite the same views on a mm -hmm. daily basis. Well, I've got a little thing I want to put to everybody. Listen to this, and it's something you can test yourselves. Um, now, I'll stress that this isn't every single time but certainly many of the times I've had tried this little experiment it's always had the result I expected I sort of maybe eight or nine times out of ten anybody in the UK who's got Sky Television or access to Sky News and BBC News when the news starts on the hour go between BBC News and Sky News both of them are covering exactly the same thing at exactly the same time why is that and that was a question I had to ask I, I wanted to say I usually listen to the first few words mm -hmm. if I was to experiment with listening to the so-called news uh, broadcast, that is on radio. Uh, the stories are coming from the same fountain of truth, to use a euphemism, ministry of truth or fountain of truth. And the, the fact is a lot of the same sources are being uh, fed to both sides. The reason that they do a thing to broadcast at the same time, and if you notice it's the same with the radio, is that it's very difficult to dodge the so-called news. And sometimes you can find a channel which kind of is the odd one that doesn't have the news at exactly the same time. So you can kind of dodge listening to the same scripted, you know, series of stories. Um, that, was, that was the exact answer I was looking for, and I'm pleased you answered it like that, because this is my point now. The BBC and its license fee that's being funded for by the people, if we now agree that the news, and it all comes from virtually the same source, and it's being put on at the same time as, say, Sky News, which you don't pay for, because I believe anybody with a digital receiver can get that, then we shouldn't, why are we paying for the BBC News service at all? Shouldn't that be one of the services that gets cut off and defunct? And shouldn't the BBC be looking at either sort of bringing down the amount of services they offer and ultimately reducing the price of the forced license, which UK uses a forced in the pain and uh, get rid of a news system which is obviously just repeating the same news that Sky News do for free or effectively for free because it's uh, you don't have to have a Sky subscription for access to Sky News and that, that was the point um, the BBC cannot justify being an independent 
organization or a unique or innovative organization anymore because as we see with for, for example the news the programs that they have running like say Doctor Who or things that uh, people would know about I'm quite sure the people who make those shows would quite happily sell them onto somebody else should the BBC not be about so why do we pay the license fee the reason why I pay the license fee is because the, the BBC isn't an organization at all it's in, in terms of being independent it's run by the government completely it's a way of they them keeping control over the television network. It, it, they would do it for the internet if they could, um, but unfortunately they jumped on the bandwagon too late for the internet. By the time everybody was using the internet, it was so popular, the government had already lost the plot by then. But with the television, they were straight on board straight away, weren't they, with the BBC. And this is a, this is a problem that they have. So, so For the same reason, well, you could watch television outside of your house, in a pub or something like that. And you could also use the internet somewhere else. Not even with wireless, you can just plug in a wire from somewhere else. So it's a very difficult thing to regulate. Mm. Now, if you suggest they should take some duty or some tax from all the people who are using the internet, well, they could do that. But they could also say, we're just going to increase national, I don't know, um, some kind of duties that you have to pay even income tax and get the same amount of money from you. I don't think it would necessarily achieve anything except discourage people from using the internet. Maybe for the same reason, some people increasing the number of people, by the way, including some people who work in BT that I spoke to, they don't use, they don't have a TV in their house because they just find it quite, you know, quite a waste of space, waste of time, and so on. But uh, I can guarantee you, those people that don't have a TV in their house will get hammered by the TV licensing, um, even though they've probably signed a deal. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Because it's it's, but it's increasingly becoming believable that some people gasp, do not have a TV. Mm. You know, and over time, instead of more and more people adopting those things, uh, it's I'm hoping so at least people find that they can get the same thing, if not better, online. My my <laughs> wife and myself, Sorry. we can watch news online because the channels themselves they put their shows online for people to watch them. But, but let's be clear. Well, I, I, need, I do need this to be stressed to people in the UK. It doesn't pertain to anybody in the rest of the world. But here's the important factor. If you got rid of your, if everybody got rid of their televisions tomorrow, threw them in the bin, whatever, and decide just to get their news off the web pages online and Facebook and stuff like that, that's fine. If they want to watch, you know, sort of the the archived films of yesteryear, that's fine. There's plenty of services that offer that. However, the second they watch live television on their computer screen, regardless of whether they've got a TV in the house or not, an aerial sticker stuck on the roof or whatever, they are forced to buy a TV license because it covers live television. It doesn't even have to be a BBC service. They could watch live TV from some obscure independent channel. From Why would you want to watch live TV? I mean, one of the disadvantages, since we're talking about TVs now, is there's very little control over the stream and the order of things. You cannot skip advertisements easily. You cannot control your favorite program comes online, unless it's so-called on-demand. Well, everything on the internet is on-demand. So I don't see why people would want to watch live anything okay. unless it's a sport unless it's a sporting event or something well, like that for, for example though you see say somebody's interested in you know the happenings in Spain the, you know we've got, we've got many people from many different countries in the UK and it, it's not far-fetched for them you know that a small Spanish channel that maybe offers a service in Spain but also does an online you know live online streaming service because it's so cheap the technology me and you could make our own television channel tomorrow albeit we are very basic and we could stream live on the net not a problem at all. The second you start watching, and it shows the power, and the point was the power of the TV license and how 
imprisoning it is for the UK uh, population is that the second you watch a live stream, doesn't matter whether it's from Spain, whether Italy, wherever, the second you watch a live stream on your computer, regardless of whether you have a TV and an aerial, you have to have another TV license. And that is what is wrong. And that shows the BBC is an independent tool. And this, the money goes to the BBC. It's the BBC is an independent tool. At least UK channels probably wouldn't be authorised. So if there is a website that allows you to stream in real time, BBC, ITV, and so on, Channel 5, mm -hmm. Channel 4, I think that in itself is the violation. So they should go after whoever it is that's broadcasting that live stream to mm -hmm. people. Um, if it is the channel itself doing that, which I don't think any of them do, any of the major five channels, I don't think they allow you to just go online and stream it. Uh, they allow you to do, you know, uh, you can catch up with shows, things like the iPlayer. I think um, you find that the BBC um, iPlayer is like an ITV do have live streaming now. I'm just double checking that because these are sites I don't particularly go to. ITV um, iPlayer. Um, yeah, I believe it is live because it asks you to put in your postcode when you were to. Um... Okay. Well, I'm just checking but that. They're, they're, yeah, but they're checking. They do a, a basic check that you're authorized, that you've sort of paid the license. So, yeah, I guess it's a fair thing. Uh, but I don't see why people would want to do that. Still, I mean, you can watch the best of BBC. You can go on YouTube, authorized account, authorized mm -hmm. upload of documentaries from the BBC because they have their archives and it's some of the best things that they produced. Not even uh, so-called advertisements masqueraded as documentaries. And these things do exist. And lots of documentaries are just either political uh, propaganda or a kind of a cleverly disguised marketing for some company of a service, uh, unfortunately. Uh, unless if there is public funding, that's the thing I do like about some things being public, including healthcare, is it sort of removes the money from the table. You don't have to look for sponsors in some cases, except a very kind of generic sponsor like a government. Uh, and then you can produce things without money on the table. I've just I've just gone to the iPlayer now and it's come up with a, a warning box now, well not warning box, a, a prompting box and it's saying this, uh, TV licensing, don't forget to watch TV online as it's being broadcast, you need to be covered by a TV license. If I click watch now, it's going to ask me for my postcode. Oh, it didn't actually. I must already know it. Um, and now I've got live. Sorry, turn yeah. Yeah, I've now got live uh, live TV on as it is now on BBC. Um, and th th this was a point I was making. You know, they don't have to have a TV. And this could be any channel. It doesn't have to be a BBC channel in order for the TV license to be in effect. It's any live television for any channel, um, regardless of whether it's BBC or not, requires me to have a license. Um, and like I say, they just highlights the power of the uh, of, of the license. To be fair, it makes the Sky subscription a little bit less of a bitter pill to swallow. In that, if you don't want to watch the show, you don't, or don't want to watch the channel, you don't pay for it. And people complain about the high subscription costs to Sky. Well, that's fine. You're not forced to pay them. You know, and there's quite a few free Sky channels anyway. Um, you know, at least you're not having to dig in your pocket and pay for these things uh, if you don't want to watch them. But to the BBC, you're forced to. And even if you don't watch them, you're forced to pay for them. Because some people, myself included, don't want, refuse to watch the BBC. Um, so I'm paying for effectively nothing. Um, I, I certainly, a long time ago, stopped watching the, the shows that are uh, associated with BBC, such as uh, Doctor Who and uh, those type of shows, because they just don't interest me. So, you know, and this this is the unfair thing about it. Um, and it's, it's why the BBC... You know, as much as I'd like to see it uh, removed and abolished and just having a pay 
system like Skyrun. Uh, because you get channels like ITV who wouldn't have a subscription where they, they fund themselves off the adverts and you know, product placement. I've got no problem with product placement if it's you know, paying for a service which I'm getting for free, um, as long as that isn't intrusive to my lifestyle. On, online it's a little bit different because obviously you get pop-up adverts and stuff and your data gets sent off. But on a television set when you put your ITV channel on, if they want to throw advert about bleach or toilet cleaner or whatever at me, you know, fine, I'll sit through it because that's the price you pay for one, you know, for watching whatever it is they're showing after the adverts. And um, if you don't like that, you just switch it off. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it could be run very, very differently. And because uh, the license isn't technically for the BBC, it's to receive the license is for receiving signal. It just so happens that the BBC gets the the money for the uh, receiving of the signal. Um, but there you are. That's uh, that, that's my rant about the BBC. Uh, you, you, I don't know if you read it a few months back, but they're tangling with the uh, with with the licensing people. Um, with our we moved house uh, in quite a short period of time because we got uh, we bought a, a better value property, um, and we moved and we did all the documentation where you send your new address through. Anyway, they were still taking our money for the old address, although we we're in the new address and uh, hammering us with letters and I sent about six letters off and never got any reply and uh, nobody ever changed anything and we had people knocking at the door and stuff and I refused to play ball with them. We are paying for the license, we had the license, there's no law that says I have to have the exact address as long as the license is registered to me and I'm living here, the license is applicable for here. Um, so I refused to play ball with them and just let them do all the, the legwork to find out A, who I was, B, if I had a license, which I've already told my dick and see if it was applicable for this house, which it was. So uh, yes, I, I wrote about that a few months back and uh, I was trying to play the game where they would take me to court because then obviously I would have sent to the court, shown them all my details at that time and said, look, this is the, the mess that they've made. Of this I heard a similar story online written by a former ambassador to, I think, to Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. His name is Craig Murray. He's a very popular blogger and he uh, he was also pursued by the same guys to the point where he has to go to court, not because he did something wrong, but because he just refuses to interact with them after he changed his address mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So just remember that TV license subsidizes the TV license enforcement. So mm -hmm. it's like many of those things where a lot of the cost goes towards the kind of meta-industry associated with sustaining the very same thing in the same way that when you buy a shirt with a famous name on it and you pay, I don't know, 50 pounds, you're basically subsidizing the marketing for that. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily pay more money for the manufacturing. It's probably made in places like Indonesia or China. And I spent a couple of days ago looking at some of those branded things with a friend of mine just to try to find the labels to, to make the point that a lot of them are trying to hide that this jacket that they sell for 160 pounds or so is really just made in a place like Mexico or China mm. and mm. probably cost about five pounds to make. So you're paying for the marketing. In this case, when you are paying TV license, you're paying for court proceedings, people visiting houses, for the letters that are being sent to your mailbox. Also, when you pay for water and electricity, if the company keeps sending you crap, all kinds of brochures and things, remember, you're the one paying for it. The company, you know, has deductibles. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be with a bank that keeps, I don't know, advertising too much because I just know I'm the one paying for it. If mm -hmm. the bank is low profile, it means it's prudent financially. You know? I, I, 
So just to, just when you mentioned brands, I remember it, I think it was about it must be about 15 years ago. It, it's certainly a long time. But there was a there was a place, and I can't even recall which country it was. But what was happening was basically they were making pirates uh, or counterfeits computers. They were making a computer, building a computer system in a factory, and then sticking a badge on it of a major manufacturer. Um, I, I can't even remember which manufacturer it was. And I remember it was the article was running something like PC World um, or, or one of those type of publications online. And they did a comparison between the pirates uh, or the counterfeits machine and the actual machine it was it was supposed to be, and the the counterfeit machine actually performed better and had better quality parts in it and was cheaper than the one that we're trying to copy. Um, and the, like you said, it was just to reinforce the point really that when you come to branded goods, in the majority of cases, the the marketing is part of the fee for the high price of the of the name. And it's uh, and the the research involved the market research that they've conducted. Uh, in order to oh, research is a bullshit word anyway. Yeah. Um, if you look at the pace of development, okay, SSD is a new thing, okay, uh, but SSD builds upon lots of existing components and things that you currently have or used to have in USB detached drives. Hard drives have been around for ages. I mean, the magnets and the disks, that's, that's not a big innovation. So when a company says it's doing R&D or research and development and research and Microsoft research, they know themselves. They know it's a bit of bullshit. Mm. But they know that that helps uh, produce this illusion of like you know, being innovative. Mm. I really, really loathe by now, after a few months, seeing all this stuff about Stephen Hawking's and Intel. Because the way, first of all, it's Windows only. And they call it open source. It's Windows only, okay? Mm. Secondly, I don't think that Stephen Hawking's realizes to what extent he's being exploited by a company that's a very abusive company, Intel is a very abusive company and I wrote many articles about it, and they try to portray themselves as being very nice kind of lovely people who help disabled people, but they're basically exploiting the guy because he's associated, rightly or wrongly, with very advanced physics. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a Nobel Prize, you know, never mind the fact that I don't think he's like one of the best astrophysicist is just very famous because of his disability and his achievements despite his disability. But Intel is really, really using his face everywhere in lots and lots of articles for about a month now to talk about how they're open source and they help the disabled people, when in fact this is a Windows-only application that probably runs on Intel hardware. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very clever marketing. And I don't even know if he realizes what he's getting into when he agrees to be there, kind of endorsement, sitting in front of the computer that says in big letter, Intel. Well, I, I don't... A bit, a bit like watching Tiger Woods with a Nike hat. That's what he's become. I mean, I, I think it, I, he probably wouldn't have, um, you know, his, his expertise, obviously his field of expertise is astrophysics and he writes all these books and stuff. And, you know, possibly like 99% of the planets, you know, they don't have a, an interest in it, not because they're not interested in the other aspect of all these companies, but they, they just, not, I don't want to use the word apathetic either, but it, it just doesn't enter in, factor into their lives so they don't bear any attention. It's like people who download, you know, games off uh, on, on their Android phone and pay no uh, attention to where, where these things are coming from, you know, if it's if it's an app that's maybe got some bad reviews or maybe it's an app that you know, messes up the phone, whatever, but they just blindly download it because it, you know, the idea of you know, worrying about privacy and all these type of issues aren't factoring into their lifestyle, so it's, it's, it's like an apathy by the general public, I mean it's like open source, you know, you can tell the general public about open source till you're blue in the face, but unless an open source product is offering something which they want, they're not going to be interested in it because they want to play their angry birds. Oh. 
privacy. So I, I'm really thankful, and, uh, and not just myself, but also the Free Software Foundation for what happened with Snowden, because a lot of people add to their list of wishes, requirements, expectations, things like privacy control, um, uh, things like um, uh, affordability in the long term. So one of the things that people were taught is that the so-called cloud is not that great. You know, it's cloudy in a negative sense. And they know it because of, they think of surveillance. They think of the fact that uh, when they delete something, as happened on Apple iCloud, it's not really deleted. It's marked as, in quotes, deleted, but it never gets deleted. In fact, with uh, um, with um, uh, with the, the recent breach, in fact, of the infidelity site, even when you paid an, a special fee for complete deletion of everything associated with the site, it turned out they didn't actually delete everything. So you still would appear on the dump of the personal details. So they realize increasingly that all this uh, cloud nonsense, which, by the way, the latest of Windows almost forces you to use mm -hmm. by default unless you try really hard, they realize all this stuff has a cost, a long-term cost. Mm -hmm. And because of that, some people, they ask, I don't want to use Windows. They don't trust Windows. They don't, I read all these articles about how it's violating your privacy. And then people will typically say, try this, you know, other operating systems. We don't have to say free software. We don't have to say open source. But you will say to them, look, this this will keep all your files in here. This is the office suite you can use. Uh, it's free. And, uh, and so the whole way of convincing people to use it is, is, is changed. And it seems to be working, to be honest. I would like. I would hope you're right. I'd I'd like to agree. With you. I mean, I'd like to look at it like, yeah, when you look back at the 80s, say 86 to to 90s, yeah, the people that used computers were labelled geeks, and it was seen as a very sort of antisocial thing, and it was only the you know, they had many terms for people that sat behind a computer screen, you know, programming or doing whatever they're doing on computers. Then, sort of mid 90s, things started to get popular. Other people, the mainstream, saw, well, hang on, these computers are actually quite good, and you've got people going on, you know, the bulletin boards and all that, and then then you had the start of the internet for the for the mainstream and you know something that they could access. Uh, I remember my early attempts with um, CompuServe, and I think they were charging me something like I think it's about a pound an hour to go onto the internet uh, via their service. But anyway, I digress. And eventually, now we get to a stage where everybody is sat effectively behind a computer screen because they've got the smartphone in their hand or whatever, and doing things on Facebook that me and you were probably doing on bulletin boards, you know, sort of in the 80s, not as advanced obviously with the fancy graphics and stuff, but the same principles, we're posting messages to a, a forum, we're engaging in conversations with people around the world and sharing files or whatever, um, and that's exactly what's happening now. So I hope that the you know, people's opinions on privacy and the importance of open source software for the mainstream masses, they're just behind you know, a few years, and maybe in 10 years' time they might see things, you know, how we're talking about it now, like in the 80s when we were saying, oh, computers are great, and people say, no, they're not, they're rubbish, I'd rather do X, Y, Z instead. You know, the mainstream will change their views, you know, as a whole within sort of about 10 years' time. Um, that, that's what I hope, and that's that, that's what I think the, the trend will be, um, because people are getting more suspicious and more, par not paranoid is the wrong word, but more careful, cautious with what they're doing. It's, it's starting slowly, but uh, I, th I think hopefully it will come. Yeah, well, the uh, great number of people either know somebody who's been actively affected by computers or the so-called the Internet, whatever it means mm. to them. And some of them had personal experiences too. Mm. Uh, some I mean, of them go, 
so, uh, some of them limit their exposure to it. And, uh, and okay, remember back in the 90s or the 80s when only very few people had mobile phones? It was usually things like business people and people really required, you know, and if they had a phone in their car, it's, you know, really something quite special. And now we've come to the point where having a phone is no longer something that distinguishes you from the rest of the people. Mm. And I think that's happened with computers quite a while ago. Having a computer does not necessarily make you an exceptional person. And, and the same is true for various other things. And so the latest things that kind of seem to excite people even more might be things like the, you mentioned before, Google Glass uh, or uh, some other gadgets. Now with watches, I mean, excuse me, why would you want a watch to show you the time, have a rechargeable battery, broadcast, you know, possibly even causing some levels of radiation around you, I've, I've seen those things like Fitbit, a friend of mine has that, and it's completely useless, it's a complete gimmick, but it's because people are trying to distinguish themselves by having the gadgets that not so many other people have. Mm. And mm. that used to be the case with mobile phones and then computers and, uh, mm. and so on, but uh, I, say in, I, I say repeatedly that the reason I use a computer is not because I'm just like addicted to the computer, it's a communication tool, especially if I want to get news and to write things, or to publish mm. things. Uh, very different from just scrolling down on a, a page or responding to personal emails or uh, I don't know what I, exactly what most people are doing on the internet, but but it's just a utility for communication. Mm. Essentially, you can also do e you can also do purchasing online. But um, the, the shame is here, Roy. You know all these these um, ideas. You know that the things like the, the tracking and stuff. You know potentially or. In on paper, they have such a beneficial um, beneficial feature. Yeah, you know, a watch that tracks you. Yeah, it could be beneficial. For example, if you had a vulnerable person who maybe was uh, subject to seizures every so often, yeah, and they weren't able to leave the home because in case they had a seizure, you know, so when they're walking down a footpath by themselves, yeah, you know, in that respect, yeah, a watch that tracked would probably be a safe idea. But unfortunately, with all these technologies, you get an idea like that. And it doesn't get used for that purpose. It gets used for something else. And yeah, that's well, when... they're trying to sell it to literally millions of, maybe even billions of people. Yeah, exactly. And there's face a bit of pushback. The only, I think the only sector of people, and this goes back to news from about half a year ago, the only sector of people that really bought lots of watches is those who buy things as accessories or fashion accessories. Mm -hmm. And as you'd expect, it's not people who are buying Android, it's people who are usually buying Apple. Mm. And, uh, and this is why the biggest sales probably of the watches was the Apple Watch. Not because it's technically better, but because the reasons that people buy those things or the crowd that buys those things, in my opinion, mm -hmm. my based on my experiences, it's the crowd that wants to distinguish themselves based on some brand in their, mm -hmm. on their hand or something like that. But I don't think this, this this thing is going to catch on. I think it's an attempt. It's interesting an attempt, but uh, it's, it's too small, and and it's 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 too small. It's expensive, and uh, and it's one of those things like my friend would say about the uh, Fitbit device. It's you you get excited about it for minutes after an hour. It's it's there, and after a day. You almost forget it's there, and after a week, you barely even put it on on your hand because it's just 
doesn't bring you any benefits to be honest yeah and um but it still sells and as long as people are selling it and there is uh, pressure from the market for people to to use their money to buy something you know maybe people will pick it off the shelves and mm -hmm. put it aside after a while well I think from looking at the my little statistics here I think we've been the things been running for two hours and we've covered quite a little bit quite a lot about uh, privacy and all manner of subjects um, so I think I'm just trying to call up my uh, little analysis device here to tell me how long we've been doing things for. Yes, yeah, I think just over two and a quarter hours, I think, according to this. Um, although that doesn't include the time setting up. So, uh, But I, I do think it's been very simple to do uh, our recording today. I remember going back a year, we uh, had all sorts of uh, hurdles to overcome, mostly to do with my poor bro uh, broadband service where I was. Um, yes, that's awful. Right. Um, I'm very pleased with the sound quality as well today. You've all been yeah. so it's uh, it, that's been a very simple. Um, and I think uh, that's going to be one of the most painless, uh, painless. Uh, and and as, as all things happen in technology, the second you start praising it, it goes wrong. So I can now hear an echo on my voice. Um, yeah. In, in general, it's it's been. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we'll do is we'll certainly uh, do this again. Uh, Hopefully uh, before the before the week runs out, because I'd like to get back into into doing this. Should your time uh, permit doing that, uh, I know that you've certainly taken on uh, a few many different things since we last talked. I've got uh, <laughs> a, a vaster range of, uh, of of projects running at the moment. So uh, most most notably uh, a documentary which I'm uh, currently involved in. So um, it's uh, it's a busy old time. But if if we could do this again weekly, it'd be great. Uh, a great pleasure for me because certainly it gives me an opportunity to, to speak about some of the things that really you can't tweet about. I should mention uh, something that happened. Uh, well, it didn't. It happened before uh, previous uh, recordings or the cast we did. Um, my wife and I are now running Tax Machines, which is a uh, decade-plus-old website that uh, syndicates news relating to free software and kind of Linux, uh, among a few other things, but mostly those themes. Uh, if people want to visit that to get the latest news, it's on taxmachines, one word, dot, dot org. Uh, last week, um, both tech rights and tax machines on the same week have independently both broken record for the amount of traffic. So I can say that even though I haven't had much time to write in recent years because I'm working full time as well, uh, these sites still attract traffic and uh, and visitors, um, and and so I'm hoping that we can complement uh, uh, all this work that we're doing to promote and to advance uh, free software and GNU Linux, uh, and to uh, talk about issues like privacy, DRM, uh, copyrights. I'm hoping that in addition to that, we can produce on a weekly basis or something uh, uh, a discussion, an open discussion, not scripted, not uh, staged, not cut, not edited. Uh, um, discussion about the same topics that are being seen on a weekly basis and, and give a perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Well, as um, I'd like to do a little quick throwback to how we used to uh, end things, and that was um, a few little uh, a few little links which I used to throw in for, for people to uh, investigate. And the first one I've got is, is a very silly one, but it's horrendously addictive. And so I'll put a, a health warning on this. Before you start to play it, be prepared to lose quite a few hours to it. It's a game that's... Um, 
it's free to play, and it's called uh, just lost it now. It's called Agar. I think that's how uh, how you pronounce it. And um, the web address, uh, if you just do a search in Google um, or whatever you use your search engine for a g a r dot i o. Um, I'm not sure what that means. It's um, it's it's made uh, it's it's a, a made in a foreign country, I believe. Um, so that probably means something to somebody. But uh, if you search for agar.io in Google, you'll find the website. And it's a web-based game, and it's a very addictive little game where you're a cell and you have to collect other cells and grow bigger, and you can attack other people. It's like a, a multi-user game. Really good fun. Um, you'll be swearing at it within about five minutes because it's also very frustrating. Um, but it's multiplayer, um, probably closed source and probably not very suitable to recommend but hey it's a bit of fun it's in your in your browser so you don't have to install anything so give that one a look um, and the other thing I would ask you to do is keep an eye on my YouTube channel uh, which is uh, just under my own name so uh, it's Tim Wilson and you can find that on uh, on uh, just by doing a search on YouTube um, and keep an eye on that because my new documentary hopefully will be coming out very soon. Uh, behind the scenes expose of a football club. Um, it's full of swearing, bad behaviour, and it's very good. Um, you'll enjoy it very much. Um, much of a departure from free and open source software, but what I would say is it was made with, with free and open source software. Um, that played a big part in its production, so it's still technically relevant to what we discuss here. Um, and apart from that, it's been a very large pleasure. Uh, speaking with you again online. Uh, I know we've, we've talked a little bit over the last year or so, but uh, shockingly, even though you're my uh, daughter's godfather, we've had very little uh, contact over the last year, mainly because our lives sort of move on and uh, we get so busy and wrapped up with our own projects, you don't tend to have much time for, for many other people outside your immediate sphere of, uh, of the people that live nearby to you. So it's been great to chat with you online, and I'm sure we'll have several discussions offline as well before we... Uh, do the next show, hopefully within the next week. Um, I'll let you have the last word, Roy. Uh, does anyone want to bring up um, any projects or anything you want to uh, promote? So, um, but I'll just say thank you very much for your time. Thank you for everybody who's listened to us uh, rabbit on for the last two hours. I hope you've uh, got something from it. And uh, Roy, last word is all yours. Well, I used to have uh, very uh, clear procedures by which I was doing the editing. Uh, I wasn't removing anything, but as you as long-time listeners may recall, we used to have uh, audio tracks and uh, we used to have the introduction and all sorts of things uh, included in the show. Now, it's been quite a few years since I did that. I kind of lost some of the skills. I still have some notes related to what I'm supposed to do to be doing. So over the next few weeks, in addition to working on a new sort of banner, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, sort of visual identity for the show and... Uh, also, uh, audio identity for the show, things like jingles or sounds, will hopefully be re returning to my mind because, quite honestly, I haven't done it in so long that I need to remind myself how to do that. And um, hopefully, uh, we can do it on a weekly basis, I suppose. Uh, maybe even more than that. Yeah. Sorry? Hopefully, um, depending on the... Uh, Depending, depending on various things like availability, because we both have families uh, to, to attend to and stuff. But hopefully we can record on a sort of a weekly basis uh, and cover different topics, uh, maybe even accumulate uh, a bunch of topics to go through in advance. Today was just completely uh, uh, improvised. 
we didn't have any list of topics to begin with. We just knew that we haven't done a show in a while and this lots that we can uh, discuss. Um, so, so yeah, I will, uh, I will speak to you in a few days then. Well, um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have another yeah. talk uh, very shortly. And uh, what, I'll end, what I'll end the show on, we have a track to end it on. So uh, I've got my little effects box up here. So I'm going to exploit some really cheesy effects just for the end of the show. And uh, say thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Roy. And uh, speak to you all again very soon. out there trying to aggravate everyone with your stupidity, illogic, and blind, unthinking devotion to the Bush regime, this section is especially for you. I'm not going to name any of you out loud, not wanting to give you even the slightest possible notoriety, but as you sink under the weight of your own asininity into an intellectual labrea target, you can imagine that I sing your nom de guerre right now and bask in a stolen fame you don't deserve. <laughs>